0: All right, everybody, welcome to Bearded Drums <laughs> Live. <laughs> oh, live here on YouTube, Jarrett. How are you doing today? I'm not ready for it. I'm, <laughs> I mean, I'm great. Besides, what's
1: going to happen in the next five minutes? I'm great. I got. I started on my drum project
0: today, so. Uh, oh, just wait, my friend. Oh, we will get. To all of that. So thank you everybody for tuning in. Of course we are live here on YouTube as usual 6 p.m. Central Standard Time. That is a reminder for you Docamomo and I hope that you are here. I think you already commented once. So other than that we are here and we are good to go Um, before we get started with anything. Remind everybody that, as usual, we are up on, of course, YouTube Live, and if you want to hear the audio version only of the podcast, you can check us out both on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Simply search Bearded Drums. That is right. So, we are here this week, and uh, Jared, that's... That's twice you were tardy. <laughs> Last twice. week was 552. If anybody saw that episode, you would know because I said it about 20 times. I believe today was 556? Three. 553. Yeah, I
1: counted. As soon as I pulled in the driveway, it was 552. Through the okay. door, 553. Well,
0: if you can see here on our little card, our episode card, this is episode four. Um, But also, you might, I think you should be able to see it down at the bottom. I have written in Jared's tardies, and Jared has one check from last week. Jared, you might have to unplug your little headphones, but go ahead and take the walk of shame and put your second tardy mark up on the board. Second tardy. I know, it's so terrible. He's a hardworking man, and he's got to come all the way out here to do the live stream. So there we go. Jared is now two tardies on the board, and everybody in the popular world knows that if you get to three tardies, you have to give me a snare drum. So that is the. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Jared. Them's the rules. I didn't make it up. I believe that was Gene Krupa that came up with the live stream tardy rule. So.
1: Yeah, right next to uh, <laughs> right next, to Buddy Rich's. Uh, That's right, Buddy. Rule. Well, Buddy Rich did.
0: He, Buddy Rich, was the you know kind of innovator for podcasting. So, I don't know if everybody knows that, but yeah, it was him and Louis Belson, right? He and was- Louis Belson did the first live stream um, back in the fifties. Um, so anyway, uh, again, thank you everybody for joining us for this week's live stream. We got a good topic for you today, and as well, I don't know, but Jared, before we even jump into any of the the uh, the topics of the day. Anything you want know, to shout out, say hey to everybody, apologize for being late, you know. Adjust your mic. You got your, I set everything up for you, so you should be good to go. Yeah. Hello, everyone. <laughs> hey, Scott.
1: Scott Sharman says, hey, guys. Hey, Scott.
0: Scott, just remember to scold Jared for being late. Everybody Please in the don't. chat, if you are there watching live, make sure to scold Jared. No. Please, no. <laughs> oh, it's all with love. Come on. Um, so anyway, uh, again, we're going to go ahead and get started. Uh, as usual, the first thing we are going to talk about for the week is going to be our weekly drum projects. And as usual, I will let Jarrett go first. Jarrett, what have you working or been working on this week? And let me know when you get ready for your pictures so I can cue them up for you.
1: Uh, so I've been working on, uh um, I bought these shells from Reverb from a company called Infinity Drumworks. Um, it's maple, mahogany maple, uh, 12 or 7 by 12, 12 by 14, and 14 by 18. I bought general finishes after going on the uh, drum building subreddit uh, and asked around, but like, because that seam is not the best, that's why I got a good deal on them. And I mean, it looks fine. You know, I've kind of put some extra, like, wood filler and putty, so it's pretty good. Um,
0: but I got General Finishes Java Gel Stain. Yeah, I saw the picture. I didn't load that picture up, but Jared did get himself some very nice gel stain to finish these drums in because he just does not like regular old oil stain like the rest of us. Well, it is oil stain, but it's gel. Oh, Yeah, it's like pudding. It it's takes, like, a month to cure, apparently.
1: I think that's like after everything is said and done. You can get everything on, but I mean, I'm nothing but time right now because hardware is so expensive.
0: Yeah, um, we'll get to that when I talk about mine, but yeah, you're right. Getting anything right now is not only hard to find, but yeah, everything is super expensive. I'll elaborate a little more when I get to my portion of the weekly projects. Anyway, sorry to continue. Oh, you're fine.
1: So I did that, uh, and I taped all the edges off today and did all the sanding. So after we're done today, I'm going to start putting on the first coats of gel stain. And that's going to be cuz I have 24 hours is like the cure time since we have such high humidity here. Oh yeah. So, I have to wait a little bit longer. Um and then I finally put those BR3 or BR yeah, BR3 XL Let me mounts. Load
0: your image up everybody. Take a look at this. And I believe the picture's going to come out sideways. I don't know why, but it actually makes it easier to see it. So that is the Explain what we're looking at, Jared. So that is a set I
1: got from Steven uh two years ago. That's in the club date uh from the sixties. Um you can check that whole review of that kit out on Steven's channel on the vintage drum kit review. Nice blog. Thank you. Um so the the original floor tom legs that are on it is the clipper style, which is it's the the lead lug or the leg lug mount, but it goes through and has an actual clip with a spring that allows you to move them up and down. But I sit really, really high compared to most people, um, almost six foot, six foot, and so I put those on with the longer four time legs, so the drum is actually higher because
0: normally it's like really low, even when I have those legs maxed out. The originals, even for me, I don't sit as high as you do. And my club dates those old school. Um, Derek is saying, are y'all not live? Uh, I believe we are live. I will check, but let me make sure for Mr. Derek that we are live, excellent condition. We have been live for at least eight minutes, so I don't know what the problem is. Uh, Everybody, We got comments so far, right? Yeah, Scott says hi. We're we're live. Docomomo says, dang it, Jarrett. I know. Okay, anyway, so... Um, if y'all don't know what he's talking about, that really groovy-looking floor tom leg mount on the side of that tom is what he is actually referring to what he did this week. Yeah, and that's all I've done. And that, honestly, has made such a
1: world of difference. Well, tell him um, what it is, because... So, so, Indie Drums makes a bunch of parts for anything you could ever, honestly, need, like, major hardware-wise. So, they have the BR... Two, and that's the BR2 XL, and all the XL means is that the hole spacing is uh, larger than two inches. So the way he does everything is that there's like a little slide part port that your mounting screws go into. So you can move them around and adjust them, you know. Yeah, so, the, so the, no,
0: no matter what your screw spacing is on the drum, this will universally accept any screw spacing or hole spacing, rather. Yeah. So you just the, the the bracket kind of adjusts to the drum that you're putting it on.
1: Yeah. And uh, really easy to install. I guess like maybe the hardest part about it is you definitely so you have to put the drum uh, horizontal, so like lay it in your lap, and then put them out over it so the screws kind of fall into it. Um, yeah, you yeah. have to use a little bit of like pressure to hold them down as you put. Yeah. Everything on but the the bottom of the screws are squared to fit the the actual groove that it goes into.
0: Yeah. So there's no you already have torque going against as soon as you start screwing. Yeah, they don't down. wiggle once you yeah. screw. But I I just like the way as soon as you sent me that picture earlier this week, um I went to Indy's drum indie Drums website and I had seen the uh snare throw-offs. Most of us have seen the universal snare throw-off that they make. Um I don't think we discussed that last week i don't have anything i need to put that on but now that i have seen your wonderful and that's i, I just i love the way all the indie um components look i said it a couple times before it's got like an art deco kind of look to it yeah like real modern but nice round lines and as jared was saying uh those old club dates have the straight legs that are kind of spring tensioned in and they don't go up very high mine over here is maxed out and it's just high enough I would like to be able to you know adjust it further so that is going to be when I if I do anything to that kit it'll be ordering a set of those to put on that floor tom and then because I've got some random Gibraltar uh, mount on the tom there I'm going to get their uh, their tom mount so it'll all be you know nice it'll accept modern Uh, L rods instead of the old because I don't like I've got a modern L rod on here and the old school Tom Mount won't accept it. Um, So, yeah, that's going to be that's going to be what I want to, uh, you know, do next as far as updating my kit. And here, I guess, is Jarrett's full kit. Yep. All set up and you can kind of see the Tom Mount, the new Indy Tom or floor Tom leg mount there. Um, Beautiful, beautiful gold sparkle. Yeah, I was He's kind done.
1: of I was inspired to to put it all together because coming and playing on years last week. Whenever we got done, um, I was like, you know what? I'm I'll, I'll bust it out. So I changed the front
0: head. Is that a coated ambassador or is that a smooth white? Oh, uh, it's a coded ambassador. Um, I am very happy with now that I've got like you suggested, taking the old vintage head off of the front of my club date, which is of like a '50s or '60s fiber skin, but I have I put a hole in it. Um so I switched it back out on your advice to the non ported uh tone. but I was thinking about it. I want a smooth white ambassador on front. It just if I remember correctly, that is most of the time what Hugh would put yeah on the front of his kicks and his kicks sounded so good. But I'm sure that one sounds good. You've got the I see you got the felt strip going. Oh yeah. Um that's a good uh that's a good looking setup and if you didn't see I believe it was last week's episode when you talked or it was the week before when you talked about that snare, yeah that is I think from the second episode, Jared spoke about refinishing and getting that snare ready to go and even though I know it's probably what a little bit older, yeah, it's from the forties um it's not too dissimilar in the tent Mm-mm. of the gold, so I think that one came you know came out quite right. Um, and if, obviously, if you're listening to this later on in the uh, audio form only, sorry, we're we, uh, we are talking about <laughs> pictures. We're trying to be as descriptive as we can, <clears throat> yeah. but that is what we do every week is at least go over what we've been working on. So anything else that you have this week? I mean, that's a pretty good little cu- yeah. little project. So That's
1: it, and as I slowly start going through and standing and working on that other kit. Oh, Swindle did text me today that since the weather has finally mellowed out and it's getting a little bit warmer. He's going to start the whole gluing process of putting everything together. All the shells, all the staves have already been cut. But now since the weather's
0: kind of, the weather's holding everything up. Yeah, I got it really two is. eBay packages <laughs> that are that with the buyers or, you know, those Sabians that I put up online uh, are waiting on their packages and UPS normally doesn't get held up, but both of them are still sitting in Memphis trying to get to Philadelphia and Virginia. Um, and, uh, with you know as how cold it has been in this winter i don't know if it's because i just didn't use my ac obviously mm-hmm. or maybe i had a leak in my freon my ac's not working and i went to the place to yesterday to ask about getting it repaired and he said until the weather is warm like in the morning he can't even look at it because they can't get an accurate reading so he said not till monday can i even bring my car in to have a look at it and i'm like okay well at least the weather's you know, nice. But I'm like, man, Monday, like, and he's like, sorry, I just can't check your Freon and Freon will not flow normally until he's like, it's gotta be at least 70 degrees in the morning when you get here for me to be able to do this correctly. I'm like, God, (laughs) I like said, it's been nice. The past three days have been really nice. So it's not a big deal. Yeah. Uh, but I know that can't last because if we get into summer, I have to have, yeah, I have to have AC. This is Mississippi. It's not going to be. Uh, you're not. A, and you're not a windows down kind of guy either. I don't mind, but uh, I, w- I want my AC for sure. Um, so uh, that is Jarek's project. We have a big project for me this week. Um, I have a ton of stuff going on, um, and let me make sure I have the right photo. Okay, this is the one we're going to want to use. So. A while back, probably a year, well, probably more than a year ago, we went over to Hugh's house, the great Hugh Barlow, and what were you there? I tagged along. What were you there? What shell were you messing with? So he was helping me get those that Ludwig standard, getting the edges done on that. That's right. So Hugh set up his sanding table with the big sheet of sandpaper all taped down. And Jarrett was there to level out yeah. your edges on that standard. And I tagged along because I had the bright idea of building a snare drum at the time. And I wish I'd, I got a picture of this, but everybody knows what a pearl free-floating marching snare drum looks like. Yeah. And like most free-floating pearl snares, you can once you take the top off, you can take the shell out. So I had a, a pearl free-floating marching snare that I was obviously never going to play, and I had the great idea because those are their typical six-ply uh, maple shells. Yeah. Um, and what is a marching shell? 14 by uh, Generally, it's 14 by 14. OK, so it's either 14 by 14, maybe 14 by 12, but it was deep shell. And I was like, well, I can get multiple. And I, I, now that I'm thinking about it, the snare I made you was two inches the snare that we're going to talk about is four. That's, I don't know what I've got a piece of shell somewhere that I could still make something out of. But anyway, um, so if this is the right still, this is the pancake snare that the day Jarrett went over there to finish his shells off. I figured while I was there, I would do the same thing level out. Well, actually number one, we had the whole shell. So by hand I had to cut up the shell and I cut out. That was a, two or two and a half inch section yeah because he was very adamant about doing it by hand yeah not putting on the table table. so i had to tape it off and by hand with a hacksaw cut a two inch section out for the snare that you just saw and cut another four inch section out so i had to do it twice it took forever Um, but they had the table set up so i cut my pieces out i put them on the table and kind of hand sanded and leveled them out and then while we were there i took my bearing edge table with me and hugh did the bearing edge on that snare drum and he also did the bearing edge on the snare drum that we are about to talk about um so the pancake snare got built great little snare um it was the first time i had tried to build a snare you know i'd cut the uh i'd cut the shell out myself Hugh did the edges because he knows how to work the table, but I did the um, snare bed myself, and then all of the drilling I did myself as far as putting the snare throw-off on there and all that and got it put together. Jarrett now has the pancake snare drum. Yep. And I, at the same time as building that, uh, that, that pancake snare drum, I went ahead, and now that's the shell you're seeing on the picture right now. I took the four inch section that I had cut out and went ahead had the same day I stained both of the shells. Now the one you're looking at right now is a four by 14. That is a six ply maple shell cut out of a pearl marching snare that has been sitting in the closet for however long since we went to use probably a year and a half. Yeah. And like <clears> I said, Hugh did the top edge. We actually didn't have to do the bottom edge because that is the bottom section of that large shell. So it already had a bottom um, bearing edge, and it already had a snare bed. Um, so I didn't have to do any of that. All I had to do was stain it. And, I mean, it is, it was cured perfectly because it's been sitting there for more than a year. Yeah. But then three days ago, I decided to put another coat of... <laughs> finish on there just to get because it, it was a little I'll put it back up it was a little lighter than what you're seeing yeah um, so I wanted it a little bit darker now granted it's dry it has not fully cured it's a little you know it's kind of still tacky with yeah. oil um, I figure another week um, and it's going to be ready to go but this is going to be my second custom snare build and it will be I will have done everything short of making the shell you know nobody around here really anywhere has the ability to steam bend wood yeah, and has dyes to make their own shells. But short of actually making the shell, I cut the, uh, the bearing edge. I did the finishing. Um, Hugh did the top bearing edge. Um, so that is going to be what I'm going to be working on for the next couple of weeks. Because if you've watched any of the previous episodes, we have been talking about how I've just been on the hunt for a Levon helm style snare. Um, I had it. I got scared when the pandemic started about money, and a gentleman from Switzerland just had to have it. I wish I'd have kept it, but I'm happy that he gets it. And He, he gets, gets it, and if you don't know, it's very hard in really any other country than yeah. the U.S. to get your hands on vintage American drums um, if it somehow made its way over in all those years, then yeah, you'll find one. But other than that, it's not like they can just go on eBay and without paying international shipping, yeah, find a Slingerland Radio King or a Gretsch round, you know, it's just, it's harder for them. So the fact that that guy from Switzerland got it and was, you know, he just, he just had to have it. I'm very happy that he has it, but I've been looking for a wood hooped, single tension snare drum. And you've seen the video that I did with the Ludwig Junior Orchestra model, which does not have wood hoops, but it's single tension. And I also recently picked up another drum, but they're all 13 inch drums. And I either wanted a 14 or a 15. So that brings us to this shell. It is a four by 14 maple shell, and it is going to be a, let me pull up this next image. It is going to be um, what is going to probably look... Nope, that's Jared. It's probably going to look something like this. Um, obviously, this is an A&F, and this is a not a wood shell snare. This is one of their patinaed brass shell snares. But this is basically what it's going to look like. Um, obviously, the shell is going to be a little bit darker, but my hoops are going to look almost exactly the same. I've got the same stain. I think it's called colonial maple. Yeah. So it just really it doesn't even stain the wood. It just kind of highlights the grain. Um, but I'm using literally the same identical claw hooks and uh, other than this drum, which probably looks like a seven or maybe a six and a half. Mine's going to be a four. Um, so this is basically what you're seeing on screen right now is what I'm building a 14 by four single tensioned wood hoop snare using like what they call the mini claws. You know, it's kind of like a bass drum claw. Yeah. Um, And, uh, like I said, the, the, the shells in the back kind of curing, but shortly before Jarrett arrived today, I got my package in from drum factory, foundry, factory, factory, factory direct. Um, and as Jarrett was mentioning, number one, it's very hard to get parts for drums number one right now, but I was even shocked at how expensive some of this stuff was, um, well, let's I, let's just let's just let's skip that part and let's go ahead and get to opening the box. Is there any questions we need to address before jumping into the box?
1: Uh, no. Duh. Docomomo says very nice, and then Scott says awesome kit. Thank you, Scott.
0: Yes, it is. Uh, we have a nice little pair of brothers, Blue Sparkle and Gold Sparkle Keystone badge club dates. Um, but now let's go ahead and get to this package over here. I'm gonna let Jarrett cut the box open, but I before this package even came in, I did get in uh, the snare wires I'm gonna use, and let's see if I can do this right here. These are the Pure Sound Customs custom 14 inch, 20 strand. I think these are steel. Um, I don't really care personally between steel and uh, brass yeah. snare wires. <clears throat> I don't care. I don't notice the difference, but that is what. Get it lined up right. That is what I'm using on this kit. And go back to that. So, Jared, if you will do the honors and pop that box open. Sure. We'll see what $150 worth of stuff from Drum Factory Direct looks like. Um, I was actually kind of nervous when the box showed up because I was like, there's no way that they fit all of that stuff into this tiny little box, but I'm sure they're try probably trying to save as much as they can on shipping.
1: Oh, those guys are they can pack like no one's business. <laughs> I mean because that- 'cause I've ordered a bunch of stuff from them. Like I got like in a larger like not like it was still like like <laughs> that deep, right? But it I was able it had both of my twenty-four inch kickheads, both sixteens, thirteens with hoops and then all the hardware is wrapped in like brown paper bags
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. with 4 tom legs <laughs> with other packing to hold all together. I'm like, these guys are geniuses. They really are. They, I, I think it's probably because uh, if you order anything from Drum Factory Direct, and this is like if you're looking for parts or stuff like that, or if you're going to build a snare drum, if you spend $99 or more with them, you get free shipping. And that is probably why they are so good at getting a bunch of stuff into a tiny box. Uh, because you know, they don't want to, if they're going to ship it for free, they're not Amazon. They can't really eat the cost of shipping like Amazon can. Uh, so I'm sure they're trying to get as much into the box as they possibly can without sending a large box, which I learned very recently, the smaller the box, the better because I shipped one symbol. That was a 20 inch ride to Philadelphia and a 18 inch ozone crash to, uh, no, the ozone crash went to Virginia, and the eight, uh, the 20-inch ride went to Virginia. Philadelphia, right, is farther away than Virginia. Yeah. The one that went to Virginia, because the box was maybe an inch bigger, was $40. And the same shipping to go to Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, with a smaller box, was $20. I was really, like, I, I think with UPS, the size of the box you use when shipping really matters, because they're... It's an 18 and a 20. It wasn't that much of a weight difference. Yeah. But the box size really made the price pretty much double. That's lame. Yeah, it is lame. But it's on its way and that is going to that's what's going to fund my further investment into Istanbul symbols, so I'm I'm okay with it. You know, they're 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 going out the door and I'm not going to complain.
1: All right, so let's open this thing up. All right, I'm going to show you how great their packing is.
0: <laughs> All right. <laughs> Bam. Like said, yeah, look at that! Is wrapped tight. Everything is Taught. wrapped very tight. Nice. Actually, I, tell, I tell, tell you what. Just put it behind you, um, and set it on that stool, and you can pull out the stuff as we go through, and um, kind of look at at what uh what they have going on here.
1: So what do we got? That so uh, first, that's all your stuff. Yeah, yeah. The internet shouldn't see that. We don't need that. No. And then they always give you two. If you get more stuff, you get more. But you always get. W- at least one black and one white of the DFD
0: stickers. I don't think, I think I've ordered something from them before. (laughs) Right. Sign up there. First time. (laughs) Boom. (laughs) There you go. Drum factor direct. We're giving you the plug. Uh, I don't think that I have, uh, I know I've ordered, I can't remember what I, those hoops for the pancake snare. And I did get stickers and I love putting stickers on my cases, but I don't know what I did with them. So now I'm glad I got, they might be on my camera case. How dare you? (laughs) But, yeah, there we go. So, I got some cool stickers, which is every drummer loves to put stickers on stuff. What is in the small pouch? Oh, Which see. is, of course, packed super tight.
1: This is one of my favorite things about them, how they do this, because I'm super lazy with containers. They give you little small brown bags with whatever the parts are. For that particular thing comes in its own little bag. Like, if you buy a bunch of, like, one-size tension rods, it all comes in one bag. They have multiple round bags. So, like, you don't have to, like, go through, like, digging, hunting. It's just like, oh, all your 13 and a half bite, whatever you got going on, they're in one bag. Bo- they're in one bag. And I'll
0: tell you the mistake I made with the uh, with the tension rods. <laughs> and you got them too short, didn't you? No, no, no. So, I tell you what, just hand me, hand me that bag first, the small bag that you pulled out. So, this, I believe, is the tension rods. Let me get these. Yeah. So, no, no. I'm pretty sure that I got the right length. And if anything, they might be a little too long, which is fine, because I'll just take the grinder and cut the band off. Mm-hmm. But um, can I get – let me get my camera up. So these are the tension rods, and I just was a dummy and didn't think about it. I'm building a single tension snare drum. Yeah. Emphasis on single. If you're building an eight-lug single tension drum, you only need – class – Eight eight of these you're you not bought, building a regular drum you bought sixteen. I didn't bought you? sixteen, so now I can actually but that's good because now I can build another snare drum down the road if it's single tension, I will have the right amount of extra <laughs> well, okay, I know you said that, but this is here's another thing to
1: think about Steven <laughs> or you could just buy I would say six and you could put the mapex.
0: Little bass drum back together again. Oh, that's right. Mm-hmm. That didn't think right. about that, did you? No, I didn't. But either way, and this is what Jarrett was talking about. I want to say for 16 tension rods, I don't care how long they are, how much you think those were?
1: I w- I'm, I'm trying to think of like, so those are chrome, just those standard. Are, like, those are probably anywhere between two and a half and three and a half bucks a piece.
0: Yeah, it was $36. For sixteen tension rods, hardware is n- is not cheap. No, hardware is not. That's that's the most of what I spent. Like this drum will end up in the end because I had the shell will end up costing two hundred dollars. I had the shell, I spent a hundred and fifty with Drum Factory Direct, and I spent one hundred fifty six, and I spent about forty three with Amazon getting the snare wires and the snare side head. Yeah. So it's a, it's and that's not bad to do a custom drum build, 200 bucks. Granted, I had the shell. Um, but that's the other cool thing and where I'm going to come out lucky with building this as a single tension snare that I don't have to drill into it and put the lugs on. If I hate the way is the... Uh, let me see if I can get the still back up. If I hate the way that this shell look or sounds, I can then go buy a 14x4 from drum, drum Factory Direct or Precision, like just a regular maple shell, so if I hate the way this one sounds, I can just go buy another one, and it's a matter of just swapping the shell. Yep. I don't have to pull screws. I don't have to do anything like that. So that's the one upside, if I just absolutely hate the way this drum sounds, which I don't think I'm going to because I want to say, correct me if I'm wrong, when Hugh cut those bearing edges, they were like a 45, an inward 45. I believe so. I took sandpaper, and and this is coming straight from Hugh, who can professionally build a custom drum, he suggested if you ever sand on an edge, don't go higher than 80 grit. Like, you would think you would want a very high grit to get it nice and smooth. I want to say he was using 60 that day we went over there. That's
1: what I had to cut, to do all, all the yeah. edges with 60.
0: I did mine with 80, but he said don't go above that because, you know, you actually don't want a super smooth edge. I guess because the head would, like, stick almost to the, you know, to the... Uh, to the shell because it's so finely sanded. He said you kind of want a coarse, semi-coarse. Yeah. Um. So I did 80 on his 45 and kind of hand sanded it. So it's almost like a roundover now. So I'm going for a vintage sound with that roundover. I should definitely be getting, you know, a nice vintage sound. So we got right. our tension rods, thirty six dollars, and then Jared is. What do we got here? This is okay. This is our mini claws. And I'll get my, uh, let me get one out of the bag here. And I'll pull up on camera and show you what these look like. So this is the little mini claw. And obviously it's just going to go over, going to do this right. Uh, it's just going to go over the wood hoop. So it looks exactly like a bass drum claw. It's just a little smaller. Um, hence the name, mini claw. So we have, uh... 16, actually need 16 of these. That was, I want to say 40 something. Yeah. So almost 40 for the tension rods and like 40 for, you know, and this is all like chrome plated. Everybody knows they don't make drum hardware out of the best metal. It's not like no. it's high grade carbon steel. It's like what they call pot metal. Yeah. Um, so it's like 80 bucks just for tension rods and the mini claws. And then here's your butt plate. I want to Oh, okay. Add, add yeah, this piece. is actually... Um, I've seen this before. I don't know if it's just a generic butt plate, but um, I've seen this one before. This is what they call the Drum Factory Direct brand um, butt plate. And I'll show you if I can get this out of the bag. Don't lose your screws. I'm not, oh, they're in the other bag. Um, this is the butt plate. Inside that one. Oh, yeah. Um, so this is... There we go. Get up on it. Everything's backwards when I'm looking at the camera. So that's the butt plate. Um, but this is like the Drum Factory brand butt plate. Um, and I liked it. You know, it's got a cool cool look to it. It's a, it's like wider than most butt plates as far as the screw spacing. Um, so that's going to work just fine. And then what is this? Okay. That is and adorable.
1: Then, I've never seen one that small. I think that's smaller than that Piccolo one. You tried to use. I just
0: didn't like the way your piccolo looked. It, it lo- No offense to Ludwig. It looked cheap, like it probably does the job fine, but it looked chintzy. Um, this is the Gibraltar piccolo throw off, and because mine is a. 14 by 4 you know i don't have that much clearance between and they're wood hoops so when everything comes down tight i didn't have that much clearance so that's why i had to get the gibraltar but it's good looking um can you see it a little better right there is kind of how it looks if you were to everything's backwards i'm like so that is our throw off so we got our throw off we've got our butt plate we have our tension rods, our mini claws. That is all of the hardware. And now Jared is going to unwrap. You don't, you don't have to unwrap one of these. Oh, they're both in the same wrap. So it doesn't. But yeah, you can just hand me the non-snare side one, the regular one. These are our, and I believe these are maple. Um, these are our wood hoops. And it's probably going to be easier just to show this on the main.
1: Uh, if you're going to unwrap it, it's it's done in sections. They wrap those hoops
0: really, really well. Well, I'm gonna want to unwrap it because I want to know, like these. Now, I did order the unfinished hoops. You have the option on Drum Factory Direct to order finished hoops, but I didn't quite know. I mean, I can guess they probably look like that A and F picture that I showed. Um, I can guess what they're gonna look like, but I figured since I'm doing all the staining myself, I would uh, just order these unfinished. And go ahead and stain. So the snare side head will not come in till tomorrow or Saturday, which is fine. Because now that I have everything here, I'm going to have to uh, stain both of these hoops, which is a day of just drying. And then, you know, I guess really, to be honest with you, probably a minimum two weeks uh, for them to actually cure and be ready to, you know, take a little bit of a beating. Um, If I can get this last. That's always the hardest part. There we go. So, it's a good looking hoop. It's unfinished. It's nice and sanded. Um, So, that is our unfinished wood hoop. And these are mm, what they call one inch low profile. Um, And I actually, it's about the same size as the vintage drum that I have. So, I didn't actually I didn't actually want the one and a halves like you see on the like the Ludwig marching drums. Yeah, because then you can't even get not that you're going to be rim shotting these a lot. But then if you have that big one and a half inch hoop, you're really going to have trouble rim shotting trying to get to that between that head and the rim. So, yeah, there is our hoops. I got two of these. I'm going to stain these tonight as soon as we get out of here. And that is going to be my snare drum build. So that will be, I guess, three weeks from now. I'll have myself a 4x14 hand-stained, single tension wood-hooped maple snare drum. Maple on maple. Um, And then, obviously, there will... More than likely, I'll at least show it because I've told y'all all all about it um, here on the live stream. But then that week, I'll do an actual video. And then, of course, it'll come out to the juke. On Sunday. On Sunday, and we'll play it. And hopefully, it won't be, you know, it won't be terrible um i remember uh other than the finickiness of the pancake snare because it's so tiny it sounded great oh yeah maple shell um so i doubt you know i don't have any doubts that this is going to sound good but uh you know nothing ever goes right and i told jared i spent all day today trying to find the square the square nuts for the bottom because you know there's no lug to screw these tension rods into you have to have a nut at the bottom for it to bite onto and uh I went to the True Value like I told you they always have the weirdest for some reason True Value hardware stores have the weirdest like uh, sizing or thread like coarse thread versus fine thread you can find drum parts or drum screws and nuts and bolts at True Value for some reason I needed 8 square fine thread quarter 20 I believe or 1224 1224 how many do you think they had just enough if not, they had none. They had seven. I needed eight. And <laughs> they had seven. So I then went from True Value to Lowe's. Empty. I went to two local fastener places like Southern Fastener and CBS. They don't even sell square. And I had made this big circle all the way around Gulfport. So by the time I ended up at the last place, I was already close to Home Depot. They only had quarter twenty. Coarse thread. So I found a, a nut in the back that'll work. So just to get it put together, it won't look right, but I, it will go together. Um, but yeah, trying to find a 1224 fine thread square nut, I could care less what finish it was in, is almost impossible. So that's going to be... G- luckily, it's going to take about three weeks for this drum to cure <laughs> and all that and get put together because it's probably going to take about that long for me to find... If anybody from ANF, I know you're not, but if anybody from ANF is watching, where do you get your square nuts from? That is what I need. Unless they
1: have a guy that makes it for them.
0: Maybe. And that's the only thing I think of. That's, that's what I'll do, is just go get myself some little steel squares and tap my own. 1224 fine thread into them and then i don't have to worry about it yeah so that's it uh jared upgraded his club dates for the week and i have started a massive single tension snare build so that is what we are currently working on um any chats we need to get to before we jump into the main topic of the week dakamomo wants
1: us to do um what's it called when you put way too many stickers on something? Like sticker bomb. Yeah.
0: No. I know he did that with his bass, and I love it, and he's got great stickers on it. I refuse, and if you disagree in the chat, please let us know. I refuse to ever put a sticker, maybe not on a head. I can understand that. You will never see me put a sticker on a drum. And it's funny that I even say that because... On my Ludwig Club dates, my Blue Sparkles, um, I'm sure it was originally 2012 14, like every one yeah. that ever came out. But my dad, back in the 60s when he got them, or when his parents got them for him, they must have gotten him the extra 13. And you can look when we're done. On the far side of that 13, back from the 60s or 70s, I doubt it was my dad because I don't think he's ever mentioned liking them. Maybe one of his friends did it. There is a Grateful Dead bear that is stuck on that and because it's been there for like <laughs> what is that now sixty years, sixty-one years, uh, it won't come off. I've tried to take it off. Like it just won't. It is cemented in. So and I personally do not I don't want to say hate because I don't hate anything, but I'm not a fan of the Grateful Dead, nor would I ever put a dead bear or whatever they call those Grateful Dead the dancing bears. bear, I think. Whatever. I would never put that on my drum. But I'm afraid I'm going to mess the finish up in that spot if I try to take it off. So, like them or not, I got a Grateful Dead <laughs> d- dancing bear. Maybe
1: it goes up in price now. i it's like, oh, it's a, it's a, it's it's, like, oh, it's, it's a Ringo kit. Oh, it means it's a Black Oyster Pearl. which it means it's, <laughs> next, it's not $6,000. Oh, it's a, it's a bottom kit. No, it's $10,000 because it's, it's the two finishes he played. Ugh.
0: But it's there, and I love the 13 more than the 12, so... It's going to be there, and somebody's going to come up and be like, oh, man, you like the Grateful Dead? Be like, no. No. My dad didn't either, but somehow (laughs) from the 60s (laughs) or the 70s, there is a Grateful Dead sticker on that drum. Anyway, um, moving on to the topic of conversation for the week. Jared and I meet up every Sunday, not only to play and make each other laugh, but we also pick the topic for the week. And this week, if I'm not incorrect, the topic was... Our drumming influences, right? That is correct. That is correct. All right. So, um, as usual, I, I guess I'll let you start. You always start the topics off with your, um, with your drumming influences. I guess wherever you want to start, young, old. Well, you you tell me where to pinpoint because mine have evolved a lot. Okay, let's do this. This will be easy because I heard the guy on the Big Fat Five. Uh, podcast that's sponsored by big fat snare drum talking about it pick three like your three main influences and start as you know a kid high school and then now um and kind of take us through how you have evolved as far as your influences So, like three guys in total or three per error. No, three Uh, guys in total. Three guys in total, okay. Pick somebody from early on, pick somebody from the middle part of your life, and then now that you're an old man of 24, let us know who's influencing you you now. I know it's me, I'm not (laughs) going to be the influence of of now, but anyway,
1: Um, take us through your... So, when I first started, the only reason why I was able to get a drum kit was because I was doing jazz band, and so that was a a big band setting, and as everyone is probably already going to know, the classic is... Buddy Rich, because he played a big band. And so we also played Mercy, Mercy, Mercy uh, my eighth grade year whenever I was in jazz band. I love that song. It's so fun.
0: If and, you have never, I'm going to interrupt you several times, but if you've never looked up Mercy, 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 go, not now because you're watching us, but yeah. get when, you, <laughs> when we get done tonight, <laughs> go look it up on YouTube. It's such a great tune. It it's really is. It's such a simple drum pet uh, drum beat but he plays it so So well well, and it's got such great that's like if you want to know the definition in my opinion of dynamics mercy 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 it just comes up huge and then it it drops down like a roller coaster so that being I guess one of your early yeah so that was a big one because
1: I was going through and doing the big band stuff and you know All these names were thrown out to me. It's like, you should listen to Louis Belson and Gene Grupa, whatever. But I was just like, one, listening to Buddy Rich, because I, when I was looking up, you know, like everything, there was him on, God, however many TV shows he was on, uh, like talk shows. Then he had the drum battle with, um, what's that Muppet's name? Oh, yeah, uh, Animal. Animal. Um, he has a drum battle with him, and so I just went through and just binged all of these 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 videos and everything, and then Mr. Joe, ninth grade, I was doing jazz band, and he pulled out his records and stuff of old Buddy Rich stuff and everything. vinyl. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. And so, and you know, he went off in all of these places and everything from all like the other big band guys. He's like, yeah, hey, like you sound a lot like you know, Buddy and you're playing He's like what? You? Like, oh yeah, because I basically like. Mocked everything he did because I was doing big band and I, you know, wasn't sure on how to like crate dig at that time. So all I knew was like Buddy Rich, and then eventually got
0: like a Gene Krupa record uh, from the local music store. Yeah, once you start with one, it's gonna lead to yeah all that. Once you go down that rabbit hole of jazz drummers from the fifties and sixties, it's it's almost inescapable whether you play jazz or not. Yeah, I don't play jazz, and I love watching Gene Krupa. Billy Joe Jones, Buddy Rich, uh, Mel Lewis—I mean, that list just—you know—we could. That's a whole other topic, but anyway, so early years would be would be Buddy, just which the, is a great place to start because uh, most people, especially when you're young, I don't want to listen to that old crap. Like, I don't—it's my grandma's meal <laughs> me, "Grandma, <laughs> what's your favorite song?" Oh, the one that goes like that's not cool no. when you're thirteen, 13, 14, 12, whatever. Um, so it is cool that you started with the old and yeah. then So I was, you know, really big into that doing the whole jazz band
1: thing. And then I <laughs> Whoops. Um and then I was starting to get into more like aggressive music, like metal and stuff, uh during that time. So I was looking for guys who are like, who who all does this crazy, crazy stuff? And then I kind of went in this like, massive rabbit hole of listening to well, this is going to really You went show. into the
0: devil's den. I you did. went to the dark
1: side. And I listened to a bunch of Slipknot and Lamb of God. And then I was getting
0: into even like... And then that, at a point, was like not cutting it. You know, to pause you for a moment, this shows how stupid I can be. Um, I actually thought... <laughs> When they came out, not only because of the name, I thought Lamb of God was a Christian metal band (laughs) because that's a thing nowadays. You can have Christian bands for hip hop. You can have whatever for praise, general praise and worship. I thought Lamb of God was a Christian (laughs) metal band. Listen to a couple of their songs and you'll quickly find out it's
1: not it is not Christian (laughs) at all.
0: Um, But I can see, you know, how Slipknot and all the other ones would kind of lead you to that.
1: So I was going, and I was kind of digging through all this, and then I was listening to like older stuff, like Anthrax and Slayer, and but then I was like, "This isn't heavy enough." And it's like, "I need more." And so I was getting all these like, more technical, you know, death metal bands. You went into
0: the flowchart of Swedish dark metal. Yeah, I, there,
1: was, there was a documentary that came out around that time of my younger years. It's like the history of metal, and it breaks on all these like subgenres, like a giant, crazy chart. I mean, it's just like.
0: Like one, I like, like the ones at the bottom where it gets into the really like super specific, like like, like it's like technical disco metal, Swedish dark demon metal, and you're like, yeah. wow, I don't know what that is, but it sounds very intimidating. Like I was just
1: wearing a wall of noise at that point. Like this is how I needed more, um, and I really got into a lot of Prague stuff at the time, and so I was like, like oh. Rush or. Like so, more actual Prague, More actual Prague, And so there's like two guys that are kind of tied. But the one guy plays for a band called Between the Buried and Me. And I cannot think of his name right now. I've heard, I was, name though, ba- I've heard that name though. I've heard that band. It's a name. really cool band. Um, I can't think of the drummer's name. It was like them. And then I was listening to like a lot of Dream Theater at the time. So like Mike Portnoy. You know,
0: if you get into heavier music, at some point you're going to be looking at Portnoy. I mean, he is a you know, a staple in the, the harder prog scene. Yeah. So I was like, I was like, I was wanting more technical stuff at that
1: point. And I yeah. wanted like, and then between The Buried and me, their drummer has like this just really unique way of playing. It's very complex in what he plays, but also like punches you in the face when it needs to. Like there's one tune called like Wolf's Den or something. Mm-hmm. And it's like a seven minute tune, but it has this crazy intricate weird pattern he's playing like, around the beat, but it's all, like, really cool phrases. And then, like, the middle of the tune, it's like a swing jazz beat. Like, he's actually swinging, like, and the whole band's kicking. That's cool. And then just, like, it just (laughs) smacks you right in the face. Okay, that's cool. I like that because I like to swing, and I like to, like, You know, so I was was all about it. That's
0: how I always describe you when people ask. I'm like, he is a (laughs) swing-ass drummer, and then he loves death metal, and that is his two polar opposites and they're both great
1: yes yes and so that would be like my like middle formative years formative years yeah when i was playing a lot of because like our jazz combo had a group inside of it so we would play like prog stuff like we were writing tunes and nine eight and seven four and all that stuff you know having fun oh yeah i mean it was tough we're all like 16 17 and we're like that's the time to do it though yeah so your brain com- can accept all that stuff you know, we're having a blast with it. And then I go to college, everything kind of like gets put on the back burner. I start listening to like more mellow tunes and everything. I'm like, uh, you know, trying to look kind of, basically, I was trying to fit in. And it's like, because a lot of folks are like what's, your, like, what's your favorite band? I'm like, I like a band called Infant Annihilator. They're like, what? I'm like, yeah, I guess we'll just cut it off right there. Cause that's a very aggressive name to yes. start off the bat with. And so I was like, I'll listen to something else. So, you know, I was going through, and then I uh, met a guy on the drum line named Kevin West. He's at uh, North Texas right now for his master's or his doctorate in jazz cities. I can't remember which one he's doing right now. Killer set player, too. Phenomenal mallet player. But he was listening to all these old records and stuff, and I was like, oh, this is cool. You know, like he had, like, Elvin Jones and stuff playing. So I was digging more in the jazz, but I was like, I want a little more, a little more chunk to my funk at this time because I'm starting to listen to more, like, now, like out of easy, going into more like back into the aggressive side of more like pop tunes. Yeah. Um, and so two guys really stuck with me during all this. the The first one you'll get, the later one you'll definitely see it because I talk about them all the time. When I and you see a lot of my grooves are ripped off from them. Um, one is Garibaldi. Oh, of course. One I really
0: I started digging into a lot more like funk music at this point. Um, That's a great one to follow if if, if anyone out there. Has never listened to Dave Gibraltar. You should have heard his name at some point. If not, know him from Tower of Power. That is some of the funkiest drumming. Um, but not like what I consider funk drumming, where it comes from the trash can yeah. or the gutter. His is like highly technical funk drumming, you know, all based off of rudimental patterns. and I mean, it, But it is still, at the end of the day, heavy funk. And it grooves. Yes, he really hard. does. He grooves so hard, and a lot of his... Pieces, uh, or rather, rather a lot of his parts to play on some of those Tower Power tunes, are so complicated. Yeah. Um. There's uh, some of them are easy to play. A lot of them are not easy to play, and it might even be simple as you can't catch the hi hat openings he's doing. Yeah. Just because they're in such a weird place. Um. But yeah, that's a that's a great one. I would say anyone needs to go check out David Garibaldi. But what really,
1: like David's great. But really, what kind of got me going into like now more of the rock stuff and everything was Keith Carlock.
0: Oh Keith Carlock.
1: And then I mean that six stroke roll. It's one of my favorite rudiments. Is a six stroke roll? I mean
0: it's oh, fun. I'm sure the mic actually picked that up quite well. Yeah. I mean
1: it's really easy to play
0: and off the lip. It's, a, it's, it's, it's my favorite rudiment. My favorite role or my favorite role.
1: Yeah, I mean it's great. And so a lot of my playing outside of college, kind of going into now, has been a lot of Keith Carlock um, in, like... I know you said three, but, like, in the recent... Keep going. I mean, in the got, recent, like... We got time. We're here. In the, in the recent, like, past couple of years since I've, like, met you...
0: Um, oh, I, yes.
1: Yeah. Oh, yes. Um, A lot of stuff is kind of... I mean, I still, like, listening to, like, stuff that Keith and them do, but guys currently that have like really been like making me kind of expand. One is Steve Leinman. He's a newer kind of guy on the scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's probably around your age. And then Mark Giuliano. Man, the, he's so... I've been the two that's really been... Because I've been wanting to get more into like the technical side of things still. But a lot of the music that I listen to now, I don't play any of that stuff or... Like, all these drummers, but all the music I, I I spend a lot of time listening to is mostly electronic-based or
0: stuff like that. Or if you like electronic-based music, Juliana takes that to it, like, is the only person I can really think of off the bat that actually puts an organic feel yeah. on electronic music and can come up with all of those electronic sounds using little weird symbols that he puts on the drums or way he mutes the things. He's the only... I mean, I'm sure there's plenty of them out there, but as far as big names that you could go look up on YouTube, Juliana would be the most organic electronic drummer. Yeah. You know, I mean, uh, what's his name? Uh, Looks like Jesus. Jojo Uh, Mayer? Yeah, Jojo Mayer does it, but I I think he actually relies a lot more on the band behind him producing the electric... Like, Juliana is actually making a lot of those sounds himself. Um, Yeah. So he's probably the most organic electronic type drummer, I guess, out there.
1: Yeah, because they released... His band released their record, I think, last year, which is beat music,
0: beat music, beat music. Is that the one with uh, the yellow uh, tracksuit? Yeah, (laughs) I love that.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and so that's kind of like my most like recent kind of is like his way of teaching and thinking is really cool. Like he breaks down like creative ideas. He's like, just pick a certain series of notes. Like it doesn't matter. Yeah. He's like, but nothing outlandish. He's like, let's take five. All right, so one, two, three, four, five. Easy. He's like, now, play them. Like, back-to-back, back, you know. And he kept the pulse just for, like, people watching. They don't have to keep a pulse. But he just kept cornering to his left foot going. Yeah. And so he starts up playing, you know, just corner So, you know, one, two, three, four, five. Takes a pause. Comes back at it again. He'll put, like, four in the hands, one on the foot. But everything he does is just a group single five. He goes, and you just, like, just pick one thing. Pick the rate at which you play them. Don't touch dynamics yet. Just to pick a rate. Yeah. And so, you know. One, two, three, four, five. One, two, three, four, five. One, two, three, four, five. Take it to go to him. Ticket to go And then he starts putting around, just picks the rate, and then he goes, okay, we'll put dynamics in there now. And then you forget the rate. You just pick one rate of plank and then you just change the dynamics and get quote, get used to that. He goes, and then you work on phrasing, which is how you orchestrate it across everything else. He goes, yeah. And you put all three of those together. He's just playing these series of just five yeah, notes. Yeah, but
0: taking something that
1: starts out very simple, and then by the time you've built it up, it is you got that weird, you know, Two, three, four, five, one, two, three, four, five. supposed to put like a triplet, and like an actual five
0: tuplet pulse, and everything. And then where it's... you're putting it across the tom so the snare, the kick, yeah. And, it, and it's
1: that. just he he gets to the very end. it's like it's just one two three four five. And he ends it. I'm like, mind blown. Yeah, I mean, and this <laughs> way he explains stuff is like really eye opening. Because you take, he's very like a laid back person, very soft spoken. Yeah,
0: yeah, not not a not a very boisterous person, or no. you know, drummers tend to be labeled as. The maniac or the crazy one in the band, he is not no. at all. I mean, not loud.
1: Like he's a very light, like laid back, very soft spoken. It's like, yeah, so you take the just take the five, you know, one, two, three, four, five, boom, and that's it. And then he gets the behind the kit, and then it's not that that like whole yeah. thing just melts away, and it's like this technical robot, but it, it has a heart. And
0: at the same time, going such bananas. great playing though. Um, so. You started out in swing jazz music, old buddy, then you got into the the heavier stuff, the demon's hole,, yep. and then kind of came around to like the the I don't want to say typical but the the usual pro picks now that you've gotten a little bit older. Let me ask you this um and I guess it doesn't really matter how old you were or when it was what to this day has stuck the most and influenced your playing the most out of all that, something that you still carry with you to this day? Or if it's something you just picked up, something that really, I guess, uh, you know, weighs the most on the way you're trying to play? As a person or just like a thing in general? Just in general. As you on your drumming, what's what has influenced your drumming the heaviest overall? Over. Who you know, who has influenced who has your influenced drumming me? the heaviest overall? Like overall. across all these genres and everything, what really Has stuck with you now that you're 24. Like, what is, what's the one?
1: And I didn't mention it at all. That's okay. But whoever who kept the guy kept coming in and out. Oh my god! It's
0: okay. It's really a tie between both of them. And nope, got to be one. Got to be one. I'm limiting you to one. Tell me what, like, right now, if you were to go sit down on your own little kit and play, who comes out most in your playing as far as what is inspiring you? Steve Jordan. Why? Tell me. Expand on your thought. Tell me why you think he is the GOAT. The man can play a backbeat by himself for six
1: hours straight, the same groove, and I don't think you would ever get bored.
0: Most of the time, it's a money beat, too. Yeah. He'll play the same thing.
1: It's always, and it's got just enough slosh and it's just straight enough. And it's just it's just the way he plays. I mean, he could just sit there and just go do 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 and that's it. He could do that for six hours. I'd be like, yeah, I would never get bored of it. Just the way, there's like his conviction, one behind the kit. I mean, every note
0: he plays, that's its place. Yeah, like there's nothing. There is but, always intent. Yeah, um, and that you know that's one of those sayings that you hear a lot. And I, I read it in that uh, that book I got, the Stoic Drummer. It's not what you're playing, but how you play it. So if you're just going to sit there and play a money beat, yeah, it can sound boring and just if you're just like, boom, cat, boom, cat. But if you put some stank on it or put your own feel into it, I think you can take a straight money beat or four on the floor or something like that and really make it very interesting. Uh, it's funny that you say Steve Jordan, because I didn't like Steve Jordan up until about three or four years ago. Really? Um, mainly because of something I heard him say in a video I really disagreed with and I, I've kind of changed my opinion on it now. But now I have seen the light. I do get, because like you're saying, he can just play do cat do do cat cat do do cat do 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 cat cat for hours. And he might slowly evolve the beat as he plays, drop one accent out, put another one in, or just drop the accent out and leave it. And even though he might just be playing do do cat do du cat cat. That is so interesting, and I can sit there and play it, and it won't sound as cool because I'm going, do-do, cat, do-do, cat, cat, It sounds more sterile. Yeah. Um. So I have worked very hard, and I did it last week. I'm going to do it again probably tomorrow when I practice. And I literally was playing that beat and trying to play it where it sounded that cool. Do-do, cat, do-do. Cat, cat, do do, cat, do, do cat, 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 And try to slosh it as much as I can while staying in that, you know, staying with the metronome. Yeah. But try to really play behind that beat and try to channel my inner Steve Jordan, because that like you said, he's I mean, I know most of you probably have heard the John Mayer trio or you've seen Saturday Night Live or you've seen the David Letterman show back in the 90s. Those are all. Besides the old Stevie Wonder tunes he's played on, I mean, if you yeah. want to really get a good feel for serving the song and p- pocket drumming, Steve Jordan is the he's the, uh, one. Is the man. Just go look up any video. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff on YouTube and the Internet where you could watch him play. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I could see how that would really weigh heavily on your playing, and that's a great way to go. Yeah. Um, but um, I guess really before we move any further – Catch us up on the chat because I did see some stuff rolling in. Oh since yeah, we got a last Daka Momo. Yeah, we got a comment. lot.
1: Spencer says hello. What's up, Spencer? Welcome Spencer, back, Spencer, good to man. see you again, friend. Um, and then I think uh, there's another guy too that comes and besides Spencer, there's another guy. Uh, oh, Kayla, that's it's Kayla. I know I caught his I caught his name in the middle of all this. Yep. Um, so Spencer says picked up uh, a Tamastar Classic 14 by 8 Birch Babinga. nice. Did,
0: is that weren't we talking about? Did, what was he asking? Was he the one that was asking whether I, it was like Ludwig or Tama that he's purchasing? I believe so. If that is the case, then yeah, I mean, if if that's what we were talking about, obviously both of the options were great. But that birch babinga, I mean, that's uh, yeah, that's solid. And and hold, and if that's a birch babinga, don't get rid of it no. because now that Tama is no longer allowed to make, nobody's along, you know, really allowed to make birch uh, babinga anymore. Don't get rid of it, because nope. the value will just skyrocket for me. Oh, here. yes.
1: Let's see. Um, using an Evans heavyweight batter. It has a lot of crack. That's, it's that birch in it. See, Scott Sharman working on wrapping another kit with custom wraps to be my third one. Bless you to deal with wrapping drums, because I've watched tons of videos thinking about doing it. That's just so complicated to wrap it's a, a it, it,
0: it, the, the The payoff is great, but it's a pain in the butt to get it seated right. To get that seam to stay down, it's such a pain in the butt. But the payoff is great when you do do that. I hope it comes out well. And come back, if you're still here, Scott, come back in the uh, chat and let us know what color you're doing and where you got it from. Like if you got it from, I know a lot of people get from Precision. Yeah. Um, but there are several companies out there. But let us know what color you got and where you're getting your wrap from.
1: Yeah. Um, Let's see. And then R. Kaler's, uh, his, he goes, Ulrich, Lombardo, Lee, then points to Copeland, Peart, Bottom, and Carey. All great guys. I mean, Ulrich was a very, you know, rudimental metal drummer, but from a business perspective, that man really made Metallica Metallica. Yeah,
0: then, well, but plus, it's, it's kind of like the, when you laid your influences out, I like what he said. There's a lot of heavy stuff in there. And then he throws in Stuart Copeland. Yeah. And that's always cool. No matter, I think no matter the drummer or what kind of music you play, if you play metal, you shouldn't listen to all metal drummers. Yeah. If you're like me, you should, if you listen to funk, you shouldn't listen to all funk drummers. You need to throw a couple or one in there that is outside that box because that's really what Stuart's kind of known for doing. Yeah. Um, taking the police and putting the reggae feel into it or taking the police and putting the punk feel into it. So, you know, he was doing obviously the same thing. If he really liked reggae, he obviously found somebody in the punk world that he really got some great influence from. So I think I think that's a good list you have there um, that you have all that kind of heavy stuff, but there are someone, or there's one in there that kind of takes you out of that box, you know, for sure. Um, let's see, Derek Fountain
1: quotes me. He goes, what's that Muppets name? And then, like, the face blown. He's like, calls me a youngin. Sorry, Derek. Gotta remember Animal, always. I know. I can One see of his the face. greatest drummers. I can, I can see next, his face. Probably
0: second only to Buddy Rich, Animal is the second greatest drummer of all time. Well, he did lose to Buddy, so. <laughs> um, let
1: see, Docomomo Blake Richardson. That might be that guy's name.
0: Uh, he probably looked it up for you. Yeah. Yeah, Blake Richardson, yeah, that's the guy. Great, from Between the Buried and Me. Okay, Between the Buried and Me, Blake Richardson. Check that guy out if you want to get into Jared's discography. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's good stuff. Um, let's
1: see, Dr. Momo says, What's your favorite m- heavy metal jazz drummer? I don't think anyone who plays heavy metal generally plays jazz as well. If they do, uh, enlighten me, anyone out there? Because I don't think a lot of guys really cross bin genres that much who are in the, the big scene. Well yeah, but you do. I do, but I'm not a big guy. You're
0: the you're in the big scene. Whether you want to admit it or not. <laughs> Thanks. We're making you famous here on YouTube. Um
1: Scott Sharman likes the he goes Jarrett Chunk in my funk. Yeah, I I wanna say I picked that up from You use it a lot. Yeah, I wanna say I picked that up from either Doctor Wooten or No. It's from Kenny Schertz. Kenny Schertz says chunk in my funk. I like it. I like chunk in my funk and then what Dr. Wooden and Jeff Mills also use is uh funk like a bow legged monkey. I don't know why. I like that one too. <laughs> but like chunk in your funk cuz I think it it makes I like the way it sounds. It makes sense. And it does. See R Kaler, uh my uncle's drummer is a pearl artist and he's influenced me at one gig I took away a pattern he
0: used. Elaborate on that one. Yeah, put us uh, h- hit us up in the comments and if you can type out the sticking, you know, if it's simple yeah. enough, left, left, right, right, whatever, um, let us
1: know. Let's see, Doc says, while we're on the topic of inspiration, do either of you have inspirations of other instrumentation? I can assume for you, Steven, you probably also have some bass influences. Yeah, b- I've been, been for the past
0: year trying to learn bass and um, not to stick too close to the Steve Jordan, but daca will uh surely recognize this and anybody out there that's uh watched john mayer or knows anything about bass players uh i think this will be a great thing just for a drummer to check out because it at least in my opinion you probably agree the most important thing for a drummer to learn as far as to learn how to feel with is the bass player yeah that's that's your buddy um check out pino Palladino. He is a monster bass player, not just with John Mayer. His discography goes back like into the 70s or maybe into the 60s, but I'm pretty sure it's like into the 70s. Um, He plays with the John Mayer trio. He has played with so many big artists and has a couple of like really big hits that he played fretless bass on, which you don't see a lot in popular music. So Mm -hmm. he's one of the few guys out there that has – some accolades to his name where he's playing fretless, but yeah, check out Pino Palladino. And if you're checking out Pino Palladino, you're probably looking at the John Mayer trio, which means you're also looking at Steve Jordan. So you're in, that's a really good, like that's a really good band to watch. I'm not the biggest John Mayer fan. I'm not either, but that John Mayer trio between the three of them, they kill it. And Pino Palladino would probably be one of the biggest ones. And, Out of the three that I could think of, the other one I can't really mention because he's just a local player from New Orleans. Um, But the other one that you might know would be the guy from uh, Tower of Power, which is uh, um, Rocco Prestia. Um, Rocco was the original bass player for Tower of Power and had a really cool way of playing where he has a very muted kind of Motown sound, and he did it all with one like hand. Like a lot of bass players you'll see will mute with their plucking hand. Mm-hmm. He did it with either the bottom two or the pinky. He always kept it muted. So oh, that's instead cool. of getting like a dumb, the dum 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 you got the dum the dum 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 and he always did it with his fretting hand. So that would be for me, if, 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 I, if I could say other than drums, Pino Palladino for like the really modern stuff and then Rocco Prestia bringing the chunk and the funk from the 70s cuz like everybody knows if you know anything about Tower Power you have listened to um uh What Is Hip. Yeah. And the coolest thing about What Is Hip is not the drum beat is not the singing is not the horn line it is that running 16th note no 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 that Rocco Prestia is doing on the bass. So for me that would be my two. I don't know about you. Uh, do you have anything, not necessarily even bass players. I see inspirations
1: of other instrumentation. Um, so I've been thinking about getting back into... Because um, I started out playing guitar uh, a long time ago. But then I did band on top of it, and then drums made more sense to me than playing guitar. Um, i ought have to be able to get back into guitar, mostly to be able to put the theory to an instrument. Um like my band, we've came to a realization last week that we're going to start fresh from the ground up. Like all the songs we've been doing, we're going to basically just, yeah, okay. a few that we've had, we're going to keep those, <clears throat> but really go more in a more you know, like complex, not prog. There's, there's nothing we're yeah. going to do, but just make our music more interest interesting. And because right now we kind of like to like play the pop stuff, you know, almost the same four chords, yeah. you know, like real cut and dry. Um, and we're all getting kind of burnt on it and then whenever I mentioned my bass player I was starting afresh and told Taylor my guitar player they're like super down for it so I think we're gonna you know start leading stuff and Taylor's whole thing for me is to me is like if you can sing I can play it I'm like well that makes sense but I wanna be able to like be able to articulate it more like if I'm saying like if a guy like I watch all these videos like of Rick Beato and Adam Neely and Ben Levin like yeah, you just take this chord and you add the you add the seventh or the eleventh. Like, I want to know what that means. Yeah, <clears throat> so I can, you know, if I watch something, I could I could articulate it to them in yeah. a better way to, to understand. Because Ben Levin makes it somewhat easy, but the theory part
0: is very tough. Theories, I mean, theory is hard, <clears throat> but drum theory is not that hard in comparison. It's dealing with time.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Theory on any other instrument, when you add melody, then it becomes doubly hard because obviously you have to know. <clears throat> How time works because it's going to be in quarter note, eighth note, fat, whatever. But then now you have to now you have to know the where you are
1: and how that relates yeah. to the next. What one. What
0: is the set? What you know? You have to know all that. So then it becomes doubly hard. So learning or picking up later in life theory for me it wasn't that hard to learn what a dotted eighth note was. This is not. It's not that hard to wrap your mind around. When I picked up bass, then it was like, oh man, you know, between just the notes of the entire fretboard and then the scales. And then, you know, the arpeggio, like there's everything stacks so much and there's so much more that you have to pick up. I would uh, I would always bow to a melodic instrument player as far as theory, because they have to know so much more than we just like I said, we're really just dealing with time. There's no I mean, you know, you might tune your drums in thirds, but you're not going. I'm going to hit this Tom when he hits the C major chord because it's going to hit to get. No, you're not thinking like that. You just want your drums to be in tune they have to not only be in tune, but be in tune with the song, with the key that they're playing, and all of the stuff that follows along. So yeah, uh, bow down to any guitar player, or bass player, or piano yeah. player, because the, your theory is a lot harder than what we have to deal with.
1: Yeah, I have, I have a very like controversial point on teaching uh, melodic stuff to percussions in the beginning, but that'll be for another time. Because <laughs> that, that, that's a very... I'm, I feel very deeply about that. Uh, well, good. Because that... That's, It's so bad uh, on how everything is is dealt with it, but it's a whole other topic. Um, Let's see. Spencer says, I'm a little guy for sure, but this snare was all trade. I plan on keeping the snare. Um, Hey, you play what you like, man. If it sounds good, keep it. And then R. Keller goes, I think Steve Harris, Justin Chancellor, and Adam Clayton are quite easy on the ears. Superb players. I like Adam Clayton
0: a lot. I do like Adam. It's, it's funny because you say it very quickly every time you say his name. I think you're saying R. Kelly. Um, so <laughs> I, I, feel, I feel I feel very uh, blessed that R. Kelly is in the chat. So I'm glad you're here, R. Um, but no, Adam. I don't know the other two, but uh, I do know Adam Clayton. I like listening to him play. But now because it's it's in the chat forever, I can go back and look these guys up later on and see uh, you know kind of see what he's talking about.
1: Oh, yeah, because I don't recognize any of those names. Well. The chat is there. You can go back and YouTube it later. Oh, yeah. Scott says, uh, doing a custom printing it at my company, I can send pics. Ooh. Ooh, yes. You, you're super lucky that you can print out your own stuff. Yeah, that's dope. Yeah, man. Save you probably a, a good bit, of a chunk of change because whenever I was getting that kit I'm about to stain, the estimate for that was 888 for a 12, 14,
0: 18-inch kick drum, and that's Price of materials and labor. And that's why you should be standing your drums, everybody, because that's just 20 bucks of men wax from Walmart. And you can do that on your own as opposed to yeah. investing hundreds of dollars into rewrapping a kit. Just spending um, but the that's time. Because cool, yeah. not only is he probably saving money, but because he's printing his own, he's open to whatever. Like, you know, if you go to Precision or wherever and get your wrap, it's what they have in stock. And yep. he's printing his own. His options are endless. It doesn't oh, yeah. even have to be, you know, it could be a shade of sparkle that you've never seen before because you're printing your own. So that's a very cool. I would uh, definitely, uh, Scott, you email me quite a bit. And uh, when you get that done, send me the email, email me some pics when you, you know, later down the road, when you get done and we'll show it here on the show. Oh yeah. That'll be, that'll be very cool.
1: Um, Spencer said, I would like to check that out in relation to Scott. Um, he has rewrapped a '70s 10-inch tom to match his kit. Turned out pretty good. Got the wrap from Precision Drum Company. I think as most of us probably would do. Spencer. Yeah,
0: most. I think uh, there's another one that's like supposedly supposed to be easier. And now that I'm thinking about it, I can't think of the name. Oh, maybe it's bum wraps. I think is what the thing yeah, is that's, called.
1: It's bum wraps. And there's another guy like Octopus or something. It's got but they're supposed to be name. easier
0: to tack down. You don't have to have like all the crazy glues. But yeah, I think for the most part, if you're gonna rewrap a drum. And you're crazy enough to do it yourself, you're going to get it from Precision. And if you don't want to do it, you're probably going to send it to Precision. But I mean, now that I think about it, there are other places. I don't know if, because I haven't looked, I don't know if Drum Factory Direct even sells raps. I don't think they're just parts. I think they're just parts and the shells that they make themselves that they'll they'll throw out.
1: Um, Um, Let's see. Derek says, Derek, do you listen to Porcupine Tree? I used to a long time ago, wasn't the biggest fan, but. that was also when I heard about them was doing a very, very, very aggressive stage of music. Whenever I was like it, I wanted walls of sound. Yeah. I mean, I wanted the great wall. He wanted
0: the demon hole. That's what he wanted. Um,
1: Spencer says, Gavin Harrison, awesome drummer and his cat sounds amazing. Gavin Harrison is a great player, but the way he plays freaks me out. <laughs> his setup is weird. Yeah, it is. His sticks are weird. And what do you like? I have to listen to him without any visual. Yeah. Otherwise, I get hung up on the things that, like, I'm just nitpicking that because it just looks off to me. Yeah. Great player. I mean, like I said, close my eyes. Everything's great. But as soon as I watch him, because he has, like, a slight hump that like the older guys kind of do. And his kit's very strange the way it's set up. Sounds great, though, in his Cortales and yeah, yeah everything yeah. else. and. So, but I just watch and I'm like, I don't know, man. I get so like upset. I don't know what it is. <laughs> I don't know. I can't put a finger on it. It's just just the way he plays, and not his technique. Is, his technique's not bad at all. No, oh, no,
0: he's a great player. I just don't know what like. He sometimes you watch TV shows on you know at home, and an actor just bothers you. It happens no. to me all the time. The same thing could be with a drummer, and I'm I'm, I can't think of anything right now, but I'm sure there are drummers out there that are amazing. But there's just something that bugs me when I either see how they do it or what they're doing it on, and I'm like, ah, I just don't know, you know. So I can understand how there's just something that's bugging you. You don't know really what. Yeah,
1: I don't know what it is. I have nothing bad to say about them, besides like you just look silly when you play. I don't know. I don't know what else. I don't know what it is. (laughs) Um, let's see. We're almost caught up, and then see. Kaylor says, another question would be, did any of your influences lead you to a certain band? Um, let's see, did anybody lead me to a certain band? So, let me think. So, one of the weird things with me is that the guys I like to listen to and draw inspiration from, sometimes I'm not the biggest fan of their music. Because um, I have a very like revolving door of what I listen to. Uh, currently, right now, Daft Punk broke up. No one heard the news. After 26 years, I would say, or 28 of them being together, they're now done. So, I And I didn't have, know
0: they were French.
1: Yeah. They're one of the creators of French house music. See, I didn't one know of that. One something my favorite genres of, of uh, dance music. Love French house.
0: Oh, they're great. I mean, um, they're, they're,
1: they, they are Daft Punk. So a lot of stuff from... Guys, uh, they led me to certain bands. So from like the old stuff, I'd say, during you know, like my like jazz foundings was I listened to a lot of horn players, specifically the the bop guys, which would be your Charlie Parker, your John Coltrane, your Miles Davis, and um those cats. And then I started digging into who their drummers were, which led me into El, uh to Elvin Jones and the Jazz Machine, which is his group then Art Blakey had the messengers which I kind of fell in with into them um I'm trying to think of actual drummers I saw who led me to to a certain band that's a very tough one cuz normally I find the band listen to the music one who plays on yeah. it and then boom I rarely have the opposite of I find a guy who plays cool I guess the only exception to that would be Ash Zone, because I didn't know who he played with. Yeah. And then you got to like backtrack his massive catalog yeah.
0: of all of his session work. Um, yeah, you're right, though, because I, I, I can't point out too many times that I can think of where I saw the band first, or rather, the drummer first, and then went, oh, I didn't know that they even played for this group. Usually, like you said, it's the band that kind of leads you you know, first, not the drummer or. Am I getting it wrong?
1: Oh, I read it completely wrong. Brand. Everyone's credited me. Oh, to play a certain brand. Oh, I'm so sorry. I feel like (laughs) an idiot. Um, any drummers for me to play a certain brand? Okay, yeah. Um, so I love Gretsch and all the big jazz guys back in the day played Gretsch. That's it. And it's really it's most simplified. Um, it's one of the first kit I bought. With my own money was a Gretsch Catalina. My mom got me a Pearl Vision, for Christmas. But. The first kit I bought on my own was a Catalina Jazz, the classic. Yeah. White Marine Pearl. That was my that was my first drumming refurbish project in high, in college. Was I took the wrap off like an idiot. Um, so I wanted to try it out. I wanted to, I wanted my snare drum to not match my kit. And then Stephen
0: knows my conflicting views on on that. If it's a new kit, your snare drum cannot match. Correct. If it is a vintage kit, it is totally okay. That is for the snare drum to match. Those are the rules. We didn't come up with it. Those are the rules that you have to follow. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, So please call us idiots in the chat if you totally disagree. So, for, yeah, for for Brandon, it's mostly
1: been Gretsch. I've, which is weird because I own a bunch of kits currently. I've gone through a bunch, but I've always just like. And you have more of everything else than Gretsch. (laughs) Which is because what I want
0: from Gretsch, it's it's very tough for me to get. Gretsch is mm-hmm. the hardest one. If you want old vintage Gretsch, yes. that's where you're gonna pay the. I don't care. Uh, I want a solid ply Slingerland Radio King. Okay, you can find one. Mm-hmm. I want a 1920s Ludwig all around model. Okay, no big deal. I want a Gretsch round badge bob kit. Be prepared to pay. Yeah, sir. If you can even find it, be prepared to pay. Serious, serious money yeah. for that. Gretsch is the, is is the gold standard for collecting vintage. I would think.
1: Yeah, and that's and that's why I don't have a lot of stuff. I mean, because the I really want a Brooklyn, like a new Brooklyn kit mm-hmm. or a newer broadcaster. But I really want a set of either old broadcasters like the Tacon head, just because that's a cool yeah. vibe. Or I really want original finish, not rewrapped, if I can get away with it. But <coughs> I want a set of round badges, like legit. It's tough. It's all and, and, and I only like playing smaller sizes for as large as of a dude I am. I like smaller size drums. I like my kick to be no bigger than a 20, my rack to be no bigger than a 12, I'm with my floor to be, you know, a 14, 16 if I'm playing more rock and pop stuff. But I prefer 14 because it's easier for
0: me to get around the kit. That's just for me. I'm with you. I, I, um, I really don't like to go bigger than 20 nowadays. Um, and I prefer an 18 even though that's the one size I don't have, 16s and 20s. Um, but, yeah, that's uh, uh, the smaller sizes. You can make them sing, just like yeah. the the Pearl Midtown proved that. We can make that little 10, uh, 10, 13, 16 sound like a 12, 16, 22. Yeah. Like, there's no no problem with that.
1: And then for cymbals, I started out with Zildjian. A lot of the guys I watched played Zildjian. I like the history of all the old cats. They all got all, all the only was there was Zildjian. I mean, so to me, it's like the lineage. That's why I listen to the most. And then I just like their current sound selection. You can't go I mean, wrong. They have mm-hmm. never, you know, they never had a bad era. Yeah, I've tried others. I've had other symbols, but I've always, I've always came back to Zildjian. I mean, I'm about to get rid of a bunch of Zildjian stuff that I don't play because I finally figured out, like I had the epiphany this past week. I'm like, I know exactly what my sound is. And I know I need to get rid of this. I, I already got a rock pop set up. Which is that really heavy 70s A I got from McCarthy? I got those 15 inch new beat A's from the 80s, and I got that 18 inch A from the 80s. I'm like, that's my rock thing. Everything else is just contextual color for whatever I like. And I found the next ride I'm going to get, which I don't have a lot of crashes. I, I love rides, preferably really thin ones, but this one's hefty. The 22 inch high definition ride. Oh. Like, yeah, I've watched a couple of videos. It's dry enough but not too dry. I watched a bunch of videos. I'm like, Ooh, that'll
0: sound great with that complex. And I'm on my Constantinople. I'm like, nothing wrong with that. that, I think I could, and probably both of us have found kits. We could totally be happy with for the rest of our lives. And even if I do have the, the one kit, I'm going to buy snare drums and cymbals to the day I die. Yeah. Like that's never going to stop. And I will eventually rotate old snare drums out that I don't play that much anymore and buy more. And just like I'm doing right now with Sabians that I don't play, I will rotate them out, and I will buy even more cymbals. Like yep. I will never stop buying cymbals and snares. That's, the, uh, that's where all the money really goes.
1: And that's, we're all cut up for all the most right. part. Uh, let's see. like Kayler says he plays Tama because his influences did. Spencer loves Logan Tama. Scott's cut a 64 Gritch and green satin flame. How dare you?
0: I you just made an enemy, Scott. You, I, you now he's got the coming he's got the, the green eyes of envy on your coming on your for green blood. Kit. I love those satin finish, even though the, Hugh hates them
1: because how easy they scratch. They're so pretty. I saw a guy on the one has the peacock satin flame. Yeah, oh but his is like the <laughs> his is like the perfect amount of like the blue and red, less the purple. Mm-hmm. It's just so. Oh, it's like a phoenix rising <laughs> from the ashes. Uh, um and then one more thing before we go to you. Um Spencer says, Do you guys have any tips on tuning a twenty four by fourteen for rock? Oh, that's uh, feels that's like gonna it's be close, Jared. but missing body or low wind, full attack, sound though. Have an E-mad on it. Here's the trick for a twenty four. If you want it to so feel like it's close, but it's missing body or low wind So your first thing you have an E Mad, make sure that it is clear. I prefer clear E Mads on larger bass drums just for all intents purposes. And then you gotta use the thick muffling ring. Use the Bob Gatson tuning. Get it seated. Make sure it's, you know, equal kind of tone around all the lugs. Push it in,
0: loosen it, wrinkles up just barely. Yeah, just get the wrinkles out. And if if, if you don't know what he's talking about, just go. Onto YouTube, type in Bob, Bob Gatson and bass drum tuning, and that'll take you right where you yeah. need to go. You do that. I also prefer
1: a heavier weighted reso head for larger bass drums, and then just barely, un- just barely muffle the inside like one of those cheap five ninety nine blankets from Walmart, and just barely rest it, and then. The biggest thing for tuning a bass drum, which I think a lot of guys don't think about, is you tune the rezzo side for tone and the batter side for feel. So, the biggest thing I would tell you out of all this, if you like how everything is, just tweak your rezzo head. If you have someone just to hit the batter side for you, then come up, then come down, or go to the batter side, change a little bit, then go back to the rezzo, and then tweak it some more, because your tone comes from your rezzo. If you're running a porthole in the front, you're going to lose a little bit, of, just a little bit of tone because you now have air escaping, but you'll lose, you will not lose low end because your low end comes from your fundamental, which is by putting dampening, you'll get closer to your fundamental. So, a little bit of dampening or a lot, depending how, if your mic can get up, close mic, inside, outside. But mostly, I would tell you keep your EMAD, thickest ring, a little bit of stuff on the inside, tweak your rezzo. It's still not there. Add more muffling, tweak some more. But make sure your batter side is comfortable to where it sounds pleasing and comfortable to your foot, and then just go your rezzo all day long. And that'd be the, the trick to that. And then Mike Malone, I guess said of Gretsch stop sign, badge will set and flame, hit me up, I'll sell them to you. Oh my God. <laughs> also, Mike Malone did a really sweet hope you're watching Mike. I loved that Gretsch broadcaster video you just released. Talks about the old the older broadcasters, which was actually the USA. Uh, shell formula instead of the three ply, it's a six ply. Mm-hmm. It had that cool like, gunmetal hardware. I've been trying to find a set for years. They're expensive. And he had, he has his orange set. I watch him play on his videos, and I love those so much. I'm gonna have to go look that up when we uh, when we it's get him later. S- and, it's a, and he has a great comparison of how he like of uh, his video on it. So shout out to Mike. Thank you, Mike. Also subbed too. So <laughs> I subbed. Love your stuff, Mike. It's good. It's good stuff. I'm also another reason why I like him. He's a big boy that plays jazz. That's a big. That's a cool thing for me. I like seeing those chunky boys getting in there swinging.
0: Chunking the swing.
1: Cause everyone just like, oh, it's Grayson. I ride bikes. Whatever. <laughs> bikes are for nerds. <laughs> All right. I guess that's. There's other stuff trickling in, but before we, uh,
0: before we, I guess get too carried away. I oh me. Okay. Yeah. Um, mine's pretty simple. Um. <clears throat> And it all I think it all kind of stayed close genre-wise because yours swings, no pun intended, very hard from, you know, jazz or bop into heavy music and now you're kind of more middle of the road. Mine always stayed. And I talked to Jared about this a lot and I talked to people when they asked me about what I like. I never liked aggressive stuff. I still don't like aggressive music. I don't like, I really, I probably wouldn't even say that I was into just general rock and roll and anything more than that is definitely off the table, which is, you know, I'm, it, I know it's probably weird to hear because I'm so one-sided. R&B, yes. Mm-hmm. Even though I don't play jazz, I, like most of us, we love to watch the old guys play. Buddy Rich, Mel Lewis, on and on. Um, but R&B, yes. Funk, yes. Middle-of-the-road pop-type stuff, yes. Um, and, of course, you know, we're only... Where we live is only an hour away from New Orleans. So that is the drummer city. Um, And it will heavily influence anybody that lives here. And obviously, since we live here, even though Jared hates to talk about it, you have to talk about blues, which, you know, maybe one of the more fundamental, simple types of drumming. But this is, we live here. That is where, and especially for me, that's where we grew up, you know, here in even though it was from Texas, Stevie Ray Vaughan, but like guys like Muddy Waters and all of the greats that have come out of this area. But you know, it's funny. I say it all the time and I don't think people really understand what I'm saying. When I say it, they kind of chuckle and laugh it off my first big influence. And I heard the guy on the big fat, I'm really getting into that big fat five podcast. I like it more than I listen to it. And he used this analogy two weeks ago and I'm about to use the same analogy. The first big influence on me was Carter Beaufort from the yeah. Dave Matthews band. We've talked about it before. He will go down in history as one of the greatest drummers ever. Whether you like Dave Matthews band or not, and I can totally understand why people don't like the Dave Matthews band, but everybody likes Carter Beaufort. Not only is he a killer player with killer tone, but he's also one of the most innovative players that has come out in the past 25 years. Yeah. Um, if you don't know, He plays open-handed. He is right-handed. He plays a right-handed kid, but he plays open-handed. And because he plays open-handed, instead of his ride being on the right side where it normally would be, he actually has two rides on his left that sit right by his hi-hat. So all of the timekeeping, the general timekeeping on his hi-hat, his ride, and his other ride are done with the left hand. And then that leaves him, because he plays open, It leaves him open to do whatever he wants from the hi-hat to the snare and then everything that fans on the right side of the kit. Um, I can tell you where I was the first time I heard a Deb Matthews Band song. You pass it all the time, that stoplight at Courthouse and where Little Rays is. I was with my mother. I was probably 12 years old. And what would you say came on the radio? And when I was a younger kid, you know, especially in the 90s, it's not like it is today. You can't just go out and buy your own music. Music was too expensive back then. It was yeah. $20 for a CD or a tape. So you basically were listening to whatever your mom listened to on the radio or whatever your parents had in the house. Yeah. And that was like Elton John and a lot of classic rock and stuff like that. Three Dog Night was a big thing my dad was into. Um, but I can tell you at that stoplight, what would you say came on for the first time? And it was like on the local radio station. And I told her, I was like, stop. I want to hear this. And I had never heard—not that the song itself is groundbreaking—but I had never heard anything like that drumming-wise in my life. It's like, what is this guy doing? You know, Carter plays a very specific style of drumming. Um, It's very noticeable when you like—you can probably put Carter on, you know, an audio and then blindfold most drummers and they go, "Oh, that's Carter drum. That's—I can hear it." Yeah. Um. And I heard that for the first time. And when I say that Carter Beaufort taught me how to play drums, no, I obviously don't mean that you Carter Beaufort was yeah. physically in the room <clears throat> with me. But the one CD that I did have from, and I'm dead serious, from 12 to about 16, and I mean I used that CD so much I wore the CD out like it wouldn't play after like four years because I would come home from school At 3.30, and my mom got off about 5, so she got home about 5.30. So from 3.30-ish to about 5.30-ish every day, I was in the room. You've seen the picture of that drum set. Back then, all you had was a home stereo, and you could just put the CD on and turn the volume all the way up. There was no headphones. There was no MP3 players. You put the CD in. You turned it all the way up, and you went to town. And for four years, I played that album. And by the end of four years, I could play that album. I can still play that album back to back. You can say ants marching. What would you say? Satellite. And I instantly know how to play those songs in my head because I did it so much. And I'm when I when I when I say it, I mean it. Carter Beaufort taught me how to play drums. And I'm sure it's very evident in my playing because I do the same, even though I don't play open handed like he does. I do the same thing where if I'm on the ride and I'm going back and forth between the ride and the snare, I always come off of the hi-hat. Little embellishments on the hi-hat that mimic or counterplay to what the ride is doing, I still do. Carter does a big thing where, like, if you're playing a typical beat in four, where it's kick and snare and kick and snare. Mm-hmm. Carter, a lot of the time, to add texture to the song, will play kick and snare and kick and floor. And he does that a lot on ballads during the chorus. Like, da-ga-ba-da-da-do, duh, da-ga-ba-da-da. Duh, 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 boom, I still do that to this day. If I feel like there's a chorus coming up or a part, maybe a bridge of a song where it needs a different feel, that's the first thing I reach for. It's like, yep, that two is gonna come on the snare, but the four is gonna get thrown down on the floor, Tom. So there are several things that I do a lot that I owe to Carter, and I owe the formative years of my playing strictly to him. I really, I didn't have that much to listen to back in the 90s, and that's that's all I worked on. Mm-hmm. For good or for bad, that was it. And, you know, then you get a little bit older and then we approach the year 2000. Now, you might be a little too young. Scott Shireman and some of the other guys out there, what I'm talking about. Then LimeWire comes out and Napster. And now we can steal music off the internet. So now I can... (laughs) Some people might not know what I'm talking (laughs) about. Now I could burn CDs with just about anything I want. And I'm not sure how... I found out about it. But when I got a little bit older, say into my twenties, the biggest influence I had at that point, uh, would have been Stanton Moore. The drummer for Galactic. He is pretty much the ambassador for New Orleans style drumming. He's huge online presence. He's one of Vic First's biggest ambassadors. Yep. He just switched over to Zildjian. He is one of Gretsch's biggest ambassadors. He has a massive online uh uh teaching academy yep and i had again like when i heard carter for the first time and the very innovative way he played that's on the very straight side of things because dave matthews being a pop band they might play some songs in seven or five or do songs in six eight or he might even play you know a counter rhythm against four but it's still pretty much straight ahead <clears throat> music it's pop music I heard Stanton for the first time, which is really to say I heard Galactic for the first time. I did not know what a 3 2 clave was. I did not know what a New Orleans street beat was. I had never heard that kind of stuff. We grew up here around Mardi Gras and you hear like Mardi Gras Mambo and all the Mardi Gras songs, but you don't really, at least me, I never really paid attention because I just, I'm singing the song during Mardi Gras, but I'm not really thinking like. Boom, 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 What boom, all the notes boom, mean boom. and everything. I wasn't thinking about it. Um, so then I get introduced to Galactic, and again, it's like a second lightning bolt hits me, and I'm like, what in the world is this guy doing? And I, I work at Magnolia at this point, so I'm ordering. I did everything you were, if, you're, if you want to call me a fanboy at the hardest point in my life, that's when I was, I mean, I was a Carter and am a Carter fanboy. I am a true Stanton Moore fanboy. I ordered every DVD he had. I ordered myself, because at the time he was a Bosphorus player. Mm-hmm. I ordered the Bosphorus symbols. I still have them to this day and will never get rid of them. I have the complete set of Stanton Moore Signature Series Bosphorus stuff. That Gretch Brass, even though he doesn't really play a, a brass snare, mm-hmm. that you got from me. Yeah. I ordered that because of Stanton. And I ordered the Dunnett Stanton Moore, uh, Stanton Moore Drum Company. because of So, I mean, I went all out fanboy. I was learning the right, right, left, right, right, left, right, left. That's his main New Orleans pattern. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, go look it up. He talks about it all the time. Right, right, left, right, right, left, right, left. That is the New Orleans main street beat pattern that he uses. And I just beat that into my head, playing the 3-2 clave down below, doing the booze-da-booze-da-boo, booze, booze-da-boo, the, the little Tom hi-hat thing he does. Oh, the, the dunch ka Yep. Yep. I tried to become... and. Luckily enough, the band I was playing at in the time was an improv kind of funk jam band. So we got to do a bunch of galactic tunes and I got to really play like Stanton. And I think that's probably where whatever pocket I do have, a lot of it came from those years. Learning how to play underneath an organ player. Not so much guitar driven music, but really mm-hmm. like bass and organ, you know. So I, I think a lot of my pocket comes from that period of my life, like really fanning out like and i went to clinics of his i went to like i I went to a a private clinic he did where we worked one-on-one got to speak to him i went to every galactic concert i could go to everything anything i could do to get my hands on more stanton i did and even though i don't listen to it that much anymore that's still probably the most impactful um you know influence on my playing because you can definitely, you say it all the time, that there I have a sloshy kind of backbeat feel with a loosey-goosey kind of thing going on. And, yeah. that, and that obviously is still evident in my playing. This is eight years later. Um, so he would be the middle pack for me. And then in the end, because I am getting older, I'm be 39 in, I don't know, like 15 days. And I think most drummers as they get older they find out what kind of player they really want to be and what really playing music is about it's not about chops and it's not about speed it's really learning how to play music and that's kind of the I think the section of my life that I'm in um, now that I really am big on playing in the pocket and learning to play for the song or the music um, that led me to leave on helm which you'll hear me talk about Endlessly, because other than The Weight, which is probably their biggest tune, I never knew anything about the band and really didn't know anything about Levon Helm other than seeing him in Sniper. Um, Shooter. Shooter. Great movie. Go check it out. He plays the old guy. We'll talk about it all the time. Um, But I've spent the past couple of years really digging in to the band's popular tracks the B-side stuff and anything I can get my hands on where Levon is talking about his playing such an interesting story. Um, long career for him. He's self-taught drummer, but he also has one of the most distinguishable sounds, especially cause you know, he comes from the seventies when all the, the biggest hits were the biggest hits. That's when everybody was the biggest. It was in the seventies and the band was, uh, you know, arguably one of the biggest bands to come out of that era. Um, And that's why I'm so big on single tension snare drums now with wood hoops and vintage drums and thuddy sounding toms and dirty sounding cymbals, because that is very much the sound that he went for. Um, But he was all about serving the song. And it's very evident if you go look up any of the band's material, if you you want a, a really good representation of Levon Helm, just go watch The Last Waltz, which is the documentary that was made about the last concert that the band did by far. I would argue that is Leon Levon's best performance drumming wise and vocally. And you really get to see that he has great fills, but they're, they're in the right spot. He's not throwing fills out that, that are being played over the singer. You know, he waits for the singer to get out of the way, or he's not throwing in crazy fills or long fills when the guitar player doing his solo. So I'm in the middle of, learning to play the music and serve the song by kind of watching Levon helm. So for me, that's it. It's Carter Beaufort that really kind of, and this is what the guy on the big fat snare drum. And I'll ask you the same question here in a second. The guy on the big fat five podcast said this, the guy, the guy that he was interviewing asked him and he said, well, you know, what are your big three? And he put it like this. He said, you know, and I, I'm going to, I'm going to substitute the guys I'm talking about. Um, but this is, I'm paraphrasing, you know, pretty much what he said. Carter Beauford made me wanted to play drums. Stanton Moore made me want to play in a band. And Levon Helm made me want to be good at it. And when I heard him say that, of course, the drummers, he was, I was like, that is an excellent way to put it. So-and-so made me want to play. So-and-so made me want to play with other people or in a band. And then the last one made me want to become actually good at it. So Carter made me want to play drums. Stanton made me want to play in a band. And Levon Helm made me want to actually be good at it. So now I would pass the question off to you. If I were to ask you the same question, what would that be for you? So that would be
1: Buddy Rich made me want to play drums. Drums. Who wanted me to influence me to play in a band... It's definitely gonna have to be. Uh... Oh my god, I'm blanking on his name.
0: What band? Anthrax.
1: Because uh, I was in this heavier stuff, and I was like, I want to be the guy in the back, yeah, yeah, holding it down, because he played thing crazy, yeah. But he played these cool beats, and the guitar players played around, and I was like, I want to be that guy. I want to be the guy that sits in the back and just plays crazy, but it's all, it's all there. And then, who wanted me to get better? Uh, no, who who made you want to be actually good at it? Actually
0: good at it? It's from forever ago, but it's gonna be Erskine. Okay, so Buddy Rich made you want to play drums. The guy from Anthrax made you want to play in a band, and Peter Erskine actually made you want to be good at what you do. Yeah, and I like I said when I heard the guy on the Big Five, Big Fat Five podcast, whatever it's called. I was like, man, that is just the best way to put at it. Cause that's, I think anybody's, you know, and obviously you could go deeper, but if you wanted to simplify it, I think anybody's career could be broken down into those three points. Yeah, What made you want to do it? What made you want to do it with people? And then what made you want to really become good at it? And I've had the, 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 the luck of obviously getting to play drums. I've had, I've been in, Four, you know, at least on a local original level, serious bands. So mm-hmm. I've been very lucky to play in two improv- improvisational bands, one original band that I got to actually cut a record with, and then you know, because people always ask me, like, well, how did you end up in a cover band if you got to do all that? That what they forget is when I was playing improv and jam music, and then cutting an actual record with Fort Bayou Slim in the studio in Austin. Those all those years, I would see cover drummers and going. Man, they just look like they're having so much fun. Yeah. And I never got to do that. So instead of probably what comes first for most people being in a cover band and then moving on to more artistic stuff, I got to do the artistic stuff up front. And now I'm just having fun because, like I said, all those years I would see guys in bars and they just look like they were having the best time. They're playing all the songs we love and know. And I was always like, man, I want to be a cover drummer. And now that's what I've been doing for, God. 10 years yeah um so i've i've always counted myself very lucky that i've gotten to do um everything i've wanted to do thus far and now i am lucky enough to know what kind of drummer i am because you spend half your life searching for what you're going to be and what you really want to be not what people think you're going to be or what people tell you you should be yeah Um, but now I know this is what I am. I'm a pocket player. I typically serve the song and now I'm lucky enough to in the past five years or so really find a couple of influences that really are showing me Levon Helm being one of them. Steve Jordan being another one. Yeah. Show me how to really play music and not just, you know, chops based flashy drumming, which there's nothing Mm. wrong with that, but I was young and I did that and that was great. But now it's a different time for me. Um, so that's just the way I look at it, but I thought that was a great way that he put that out as far as what made you want to play, what made you want to play in a band, and what made you really want to be good at it. So I was like I I, I had to remember that and when I when we were talking about this, it's like definitely bring that up and obviously bring it to your attention. Yeah. So that's my big three influences. Um and that's you know, Jared laid his out. Uh, do we have anybody kind of weighing in on what we're talking about? Let's see. Let's go back. So let's see.
1: Mike said he has that stop sign and the moon glow satin. Um, Spencer says, it's clear and porthole in the front. So, for your bass drum sub, Spencer, I would say definitely throw in, like, a light towel or something in there. And then just tweak your reso head to get that tone out to of your 24. Um, Scott Sharman clearly getting it with 26 kick. That sounds heavy. Um, big boy. <laughs> Let's see. Mike Willen says, dude, you saw it. I'm so flattered. Um, Mike, that was, a like, all the videos, if you guys don't watch Mike Malone's YouTube, um, I mean, it's it's really polished for what he does.
0: The video you were talking mm-hmm. about, that was the one where he compared a, um, what against a what?
1: No, that's a different guy. Um, oh. that's a, another guy, probably around mine and Mike's age. Um, but Mike just did a whole little, like, mini thing on um, the broadcasters. He did his, he did a, a cool thing on, uh, Making
0: a little like pancake kick drum and Ooh. snare drum. That was cool. Very interested. I, he has a video on that. Yeah, he's got a video. I'm gonna be I'm gonna be checking that out probably later tonight because that's that sounds very cool.
1: My favorite thing Mike has done recently is he has jazz for like millennials, um, doing like <laughs> jazz jazz theme <laughs> tunes of uh, I cannot think of the two songs I just did, um, but Mike is a killer swing player. Killer jazz guy, and he gets to play with an upright bass player, which I'm super jealous of. Oh, that's And cool. the guys he plays with are phenomenal, and Mike has a really lovely like, touch. Like It's it's super light, which I've been trying to do more of because I've been more of like, a heavy-handed because a big band drumming has been my like yeah. roots and marching, so I'm like, hands is hands. But Mike has a very lovely feeling. He's also really good at brushes. I'm going to check that out. Um, and then, let's see. He goes... I'll take the chunky jazz co- comment as a compliment. Uh, no disrespect at all, Mike. I'm also a large fellow. I don't know if you guys can tell. I am 280, sometimes teetering on 285. So it is all love from me, Mike. I would big love. Yeah, I would. I would never disrespect someone by the way they look. Uh, I was just saying, as I feel a camaraderie uh, between because something I've noticed, like. I know, like, for, like, Sarad and that band he does, like, they have to be fit. Like they,
0: They, Well, not only that, they have to be fit. They tell them what to wear. Yeah, Like, like you have... But they're also top-tier cover band that is probably making so much money doing the the events that they do that I can understand. Not only are they selling music, they're selling a certain form of entertainment and a look. Yeah. And that's just part of that game when you get up to... I learned that doing the casino thing when we did that for all those years Um, it's not just about the music at that point of the, you know, in, in most casino situations, you don't even get to audition for the gig. If you don't have a female singer, that's just because that is the casino style. They want to see a female lead out front with a band out back, most likely all wearing, like they all want you wearing all black, not ratty black that you went and found at the dollar store. Like you have to be dressed a certain way because they're buying a product and they're paying you significantly more than the clubs would. So right or wrong, I'm not going to debate that, but that is how that game works. And in Sirad's case, you know, they're making really good money. So they're selling of a product and not just music. Yeah. So Mike,
1: I do want to apologize if anything I said might've offended you. It was completely out of love.
0: No, we're always, no, no, no attacks here.
1: Yeah, I would I would never do that to someone. Um, and then Spencer goes, I love DMB, had tickets to see them in 2020, but got pushed back.
0: They're great. I mean, not only are they one of the largest touring U.S. acts, um, it's a really good band. And I, I've heard people's arguments for why they don't like the Dave Matthews Band. And I don't really listen to it that much anymore. I'm an older Dave Matthews Band fan from like the 90s to the 2000s. I can get why people don't like it, but I think we can all agree as drummers and really musicians because I've never heard a non-drummer say they, you know, most of the time I hear somebody say they don't like Dave Matthews band and it can even be a non-drummer and they always go, Oh, but that drummer, I love him. So I think we can all agree. Carter Beaufort is just simply, he will go down in history as one of the greatest drummers that came out of this century for sure.
1: Oh yeah. And there's no doubt about it. I mean,
0: no, just, he's Carter.
1: Um, Let's see. Our boy Philip Cron. Oh, Philip Cron Said watching Carter's Beaufort play is mesmerizing. It really is. Because one, the way his open headed playing is such a weird, for me, traditionally, seeing the right over left, as I guess most folks are. And seeing him do that has always been crazy. really cool. And then his setup is always like this. He's
0: got one of the coolest setups ever. Yeah. Um, and, uh. Actually, Jarrett is going to be on Philip Krohn's podcast in March, March seventh, March seventh. I hope 7th. haven't forgot about um, me, and I believe it is actually just called the Philip Krohn podcast. Um, he's going to be on there, uh, and Jarrett's going to be playing. Yeah. Um, I don't. Are you bringing anybody with you? Um, it depends a lot on
1: my bass player's schedule because he's a teacher. Yeah. Um, so if everything is still planned for seven p.m., because we have to rehearse our band rehearses on Sundays. So if Tom's able to swing it, then he'll be there. If not, I'm gonna have to probably try to snag Dakamomo to uh, there. You go the slide today. But yeah, on.
0: Jared's gonna be on the Philip Crom podcast in March on the seventh. So if you get a chance, you know we try to shout out to Philip because he is one of the inspirations for us doing yep. this podcast. You know he kind of showed me that it was possible to do. I, I thought it was kind of an insurmountable task. To get the whole set up with the mics and all the cameras and the switching equipment, um, so big shout out to Philip. And Philip had me on uh, a while back, and then brought me on this past Sunday as a co-host um, with Cameron Altidore. Um A lot of fun, always a lot of fun hanging out with those guys. He's got a great little room there, um, very comfortable to go over there and just hang out, talk drums and play. So I'm glad you're, uh, I'm glad you're hanging out with us tonight, Philip.
1: Um, see, Kayler says Carter is a beast, very musical, He's excellent everywhere. Spencer Combat Stanton is awesome. Scott Shireman, we prefer pirate, not steal.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, True. Yeah. Pirated music, music back in the day before uh, Metallica went off and tried to get Napster pulled. Um, if you're old enough to remember I was Napster and LimeWire back in the day, uh, that was kind of the turning point because before then, like I said, a CD was 19.99 at the lowest price, yep. and it was tough to go out and get new music. To go down for us, it would have been bebop music shop to go down there with a, you know, what's 20 plus tax? That's 21 something. Yeah, as a kid to come up with that money just to get an album, it was everything I, you know, uh, at least back in those days for me. Every time a new Dave Matthews album came out, any money I had saved up, it was that was what it got spent on. And every album that came out. He pushed his drumming further and further, and, and it really just pushed me further and further. But I'm glad we're now in a day where everything's 99 cents per track and yeah. a little bit easier to get a hold of.
1: Or someone re-uploads it to YouTube. Yes, uh, yes. With with the unofficial uh, video, or they change the key, mm-hmm. either a whole
0: step up or down. A lot easier nowadays, oh, yeah. for sure.
1: Uh, Derek Fountain says, I forgot about Adam deach from the band Lettuce. Of course, oh, he played with other folks, too. Adam
0: Deach is good. Adam Deach is... Killer, and if you like funk music with horns and stuff like that, go check out Lettuce, they are a, a, a band. killer band. He is a killer band. And in regards to Spencer, if I'm not incorrect, doesn't Adam Deach play Tama? I let's see, hopefully, Spencer's still here, to will tell us about that. I think he's a Tama player, so um, go check him out. I think it's Zildjian, and Tama is what he plays. Man, he's got a great feel. I've seen them twice. Once in New Orleans, once in Mobile, they kill it every time. And Deech is such a solid player. I mean, he is—he's again that I love the funkier stuff. That's another one that really uh, influenced me early in my twenties. Because when I was getting into Stanton, that leads you—if you're listening to Galactic, you're going to listen to Lettuce, which means you know it's going to branch out into all those bands that are on that kind of funk circuit. And Deech was definitely the one of the ones that really—you know—he's. And I still, when I see his videos, because I think I'm subscribed to either his channel or the Lettuce channel, I always watch those videos when they come out. Good uh, good, good one to bring
1: up, Derek. Let's see. Um, Spencer replied, oh, yeah, dude, I have just started getting Adam Deitch's playing. He's very underrated, perhaps not even heard of by most. Incredible chops and feel. Uh, Agreed. Derek says, I know he played with John Schofield on some stuff, too. Love that, dude. Um. Let's see. R. Keller says Dana Carey is – I always say Dana because I think of Dana Carvey every time I say his name. Danny, danny Carey. danny I always say Dana Carvey. Sorry. Danny Carey is 60. I didn't know he was that old. Wow.
0: Yeah. But, yeah, we talked about him, I think, on the uh, last, on the last podcast yeah. about how he's just taken it with uh, the golden ratio playing and the whole math – the ma- adding math into your playing. That's just a whole nother level of wow – um, not a Tool fan at all, but I'll, I'll admit that he is, uh, you know. Those
1: were some brain teasers for me when I was trying, when I was in the whole prog rock thing in high school. I listened to a lot of Tool, and I got so close to getting, there was one groove where the back beats on two and four, and then the kick drum was like, dun, da, dun, 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 dun. And it allowed to pick up again. Mm-hmm. But Every third sixteenth note on the hi, because you keep da 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 da. You open the hi hat. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. it's a dotted eighth while you're keeping dun 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 da dun. John, because that that double always threw me off. Yeah, and I can't remember what <laughs> the tune it was. It was like a small break in something. I was like, I hate you, but I love this. <laughs> I love you. I love you, but I hate you. Oh yeah. Um, and then Spencer correctly says Charlie. uh, I always mess his last name up. That's the guy who played for Anthrax. Oh. Um, let's see. Mike Malone says, We're all good. Let's connect. Jared, mutual fans, it sounds. Yes, I am. I believe we are mutual fans of the same stuff. I love straight ahead swing. I mean, modern stuff is cool, but God, I just like laying back and listening yeah. to a horn player just tell me how sad he is, and then we call it a day. <laughs> I, if, if we break it down to it's, if it's most bac- basic roots, I mean, Modern stuff's cool, you get a little weird, yeah. but at the same time, I guess like to my style of playing where I want to play jazz, I just want to hear either it be straightforward, whether if you make it a bop tune and just play it really up to tempo yeah, like I don't I want to hear all of me where someone can sing it instead of like Michael Camilo, who is a f- amazing piano player. His trio has um one of his versions of night in Tunisia It's Michael Camilo, I cannot remember the upright bass player's name, but he's got. Daphne's Puerto playing kit. And mm-hmm. you talk about one of the most mind-boggling because Daphne's, so I want to say is Puerto Rican or he's no, he's Cuban. So and he has this weird pattern he plays, which is like he plays the Afro-Cuban, dun dun, but he puts a samba straight underneath goon. I can't even do my hands and singing. It's tough. He and he plays like that in part of this whole it's not in Tunisia, which is generally it's swung no sorry, it's straight and swung, straight than swung. Mm-hmm. But in if you listen to like the opening piano interlude, how he gets into it, you'll have to like you'll hear part of the melody hit and set it going to the next beat, it'll stay on that for a bar, and he'll cram three bars into like a space and a half. But little da and it'll just, it'll hold on for a whole of three bars and then it's like and then it gets into the actual groove and he's Daphne's just playing this. Because he's got a foot clave going on with his left foot, mm-hmm. playing the bum bum note. But anyone who know what the bum bum note is, it's the second bass. It's a doom cut, doom cut, doom cut, doom. That is the bum bum note in the upbeat. So he's got that going on, playing the hep uh, the cascada with his right hand, and then cross stick playing the other cowboy. And he's just, he's a machine, but yeah. it sounds so good. And he's, I don't know, how to explain it. I mean, just look up, look up that tune, the Michael Camillo trio. Night in Tunisia. You'll be blown away by Daphne's part if you've never heard him before. Phenomenal, phenomenal set player. Um I don't even remember what we got from that. R. Kaler, you're a drummer. What is is irrelevant. Do what you love. Right on. Uh, Dakamomo, that's me. Mike says Deech was Tama before it was cool,
0: aka pre Erskine, at least for the Jazz Cats. Yeah, and he's he's always. Been super loyal to that brand. Obviously, it produces the sound he wants. Yep. Um, and it's a great. I mean, we say it all the time on this podcast. There's no bad brands. Mm-hmm. Out there. I, I don't, don't care bad. what it is. Um, they have always had their sound. They've always stuck to their sound. And one of the nicest kits I ever owned was a Tama. So you know, and he's he is right. He, he he played Tama before it was cool to play Tama, and has always stuck with Tama. And it's very you know, I think it. Even though he plays on the funkier side of things. He, the way he plays those drums, he has the tone dialed in specifically for what he's doing. And he's always had a great drum sound. I love I love hearing him play.
1: And then we have... Kayler, Carter is Williams redux. And I believe he's saying Tony Williams. It says Carter is Williams redux. And I would kind of see that. Yeah. Uh, was even though Tony Williams was a jazz guy predominantly, I mean... He had a he had Tony has a very specific way he played. Oh yeah, I mean he was telling us stories about Tony coming to the shop and doing clinics. Would have to they'd go to the I think it was community college or something that they'd have to rent out. Um, the last time we we're at Hughes ago, he talked about it because mm-hmm. I remember I think it was that was the same day he was I was asking Hugh so who's all kits have you worked on? Yeah, and I think he brought up because I know he said Buddy came to the shop a lot whenever he was in Florida mm-hmm. and it was Tony Williams. I I can't remember who else Hugh said. He got to meet and fiddle with her things. Um, but yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. Let's see. And Spencer says, Dave Matthews Band with Warren Haynes covering Cortez the Killer. Yeah, that's a good track.
0: That's a great track. Um, I used to When I was younger, I used to hate playing ballads or anything in the ballad tempo. I love it now. And that's a really good example of how to really fall down into a deep pocket on a, uh, on a ballad-type track. If you've never seen, I think it's there's a good live one of them doing that at like the uh, Central Park concert. That's a great one to watch. Um, he's just a great player. I would agree with the Tony Williams uh, comparison there. Um, that guy, I've never heard anybody since I've heard Carter Beaufort that had such a distinct style of playing. Not to say that there aren't players out there that have their own thing, but Man, that was such a 180 with the way he plays. Not only the way he sets up, which affects the way he plays, but the way he approaches fills and the way he approaches texturing using three different splashes that he has on his kit. Yeah. It's really, you know, like I said, like Dave Matthews, Ben or not, going watching Carter is something in and of itself that I think anybody could take away because he's very powerful when he needs to be. He's very intricate when he needs to be. He knows how to lay back when he needs to be. And he can be also the most gentle drummer you've ever heard. And he really is a powerhouse of a guy, but he can be so delicate when he has to, which I think is why you know he's such a master. He's gotten all of the feels down, whether it be Latin, whether it be rock, whether it be heavy or, or light or dark or happy sounding. He can really dial in just about anything through a drum that is You know, I I would argue the drums are the harder thing to uh, convey feeling through. Yeah, because there's there's no there's nothing. There's no it's not melodic. So a guitar is very, you know, it's very easy to pull your feelings out. Or if a singer, obviously a singer is the easiest way. But a drum is the harder thing to pull emotion out of. And I've heard him do it a hundred times on a hundred different tracks where you can really feel there's anger on don't drink the water and there is, uh, uh, however you could say it, love or passion through number 41, or that he really is very good at pulling out emotion through those drums, which, again, I would say is one of the harder things to do, you know, with with our instrument.
1: Yeah, because we're kind of
0: confined to just singular pitches. And if you can get to that level, man, you're a master anyway, just by being able to do that in and of itself. Yeah. So...
1: That takes, a, that takes a lot of practice and, yeah. and time and, and touch just to be able to, to get
0: that kind of thing across. Oh, yeah. And, and feel is king. So that goes to prove that right there. Yep. Uh, anything else before? I mean, we're getting up into. Yeah, the last,
1: the last thing from that is uh, Kayla just said Tama is named after the wife of the founder. It's Tama in Japanese. Oh, okay. Did not know that. I did. We've been pronouncing it like fools. <laughs> Tama. Well, Tama.
0: We like Tama. But uh, that makes know. more sense. Tama yeah. would be, uh, you know, more uh, Japanese sounding. than yeah. Tama, like we're from, you know, the Midwest. Tama. Yeah. I play Tama drums. Tama drums, a. Eh? Yeah, I like Tama, eh? <laughs> <laughs> Um, So I, I, I hope y'all enjoyed as much, you know, uh, of us talking about our influences. Um, and I'm glad, as usual, every episode that we do, we get better interaction from all of you on the chat, which is Mm -hmm. the main reason we do this um, with the addition of a couple of new ones this week. Um, So as usual, you know, thanks to all of y'all for weighing in. That is really, you know, the main thing for us. Um, That's what makes it so fun. Yeah. Um, But -hmm. anyway, um, just to reiterate, Jared is going to be on the Cron podcast on March 7th. And has, has, your schedule changed any? Since,
1: um, No, I actually go back to my old hours next week, which means I'll be off Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday, which means I'll get
0: a little free day weekend, and I'll be... But our, our Thursdays don't change. Our Thursdays okay, don't good. change. Okay, good. So at least for the foreseeable future, we're going to be same time, same channel, 6 p.m., Central Standard. That's for you, Docomomo, every Thursday at 6 p.m. We are live here on YouTube, and please come and hang with us and argue with us in the chat or just, you know, go back and forth and please, you know, remember that we are going to every night I upload the audio version to Apple podcasts and Spotify. So if you want to go back and listen to this, or if you're checking this out, you know, after the fact and you just want to do the audio only version while you're doing a drum project, you can find us on both platforms. Just look up bearded drums, quite simple. Jared, anything else before we, you know, get out of here this evening?
1: Uh no! Just want to say thank you to everyone for coming and hanging out. Yeah, it's been always. a fun one. That's uh, kind of us. We get to kind of take a slight one that's not completely gear related, and you know, talk about everything. So I really enjoyed this one, and I would also like to to again poke the not the bear, but the audience again uh, after the video is uploaded. If you have any suggestions for uh, topics, please let us know because we have a couple, but. I definitely would like to know more about what you guys would like to hear or not to hear.
0: Yeah, definitely. What you know, Whatever y'all want us to talk about is a big part of doing this live stream. Um, and we do have, like he said, some topics in the bag. Uh, but you know we're not going to be able to come up with stuff forever. Yeah. Um, so de- de- definitely let us know if there's something specifically you want to hear. And keep an eye out. There will be a brand new regular Bearded Drums video out tomorrow, as usual, 7 a.m., a brand new product to talk about and keep an eye out. Now that we've got all the parts in here for the stuff we talked about earlier, I'm going to be doing my vintage style leave helm, single tension snare build. So be looking out for that. That should be here in the next, I don't know, two to three weeks. I'm probably going to go try to put this thing together tonight just to get everything on and see how it fits before I take it all apart and go throwing and stain on the hoops and stuff like that. Cause when I get home, I'm throwing, I'm, Throwing that stain on,
1: yeah. that rack tom and seeing how it works because it's it's small. I'm not doing the bass drum first. I made
0: that mistake once. Smart, <laughs> start small. Start yeah, definitely small. start small. It's a lot easier. Yeah. Um. So for both of us, thank you as usual for tuning in, and definitely hope to see all of you next week at six. Yes, uh, sir. That is so, correct. So we will see you on, on the, the next, next one. one. That's. <laughs> 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 That's right. We'll see you on the next one. Thank you, guys. We're out. Ba-dum-dum.